At American University, we don't just hope for change. We create it. We don't just dream of a better world. We make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout D.C. to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash grad school. The coronavirus is creating chaos around the globe, which could destabilize the U.S. economy in the months to come. That is a devastating risk if you are heavy in stocks with no safeguard. Wise investors know to hedge against stock market collapse by investing in gold and precious metals. Noble Gold can help you protect your retirement with gold and silver IRAs. Whether you're a new collector of rare coins or a seasoned investor looking to diversify your portfolio, Noble Gold can help. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com to learn more. That's noblegoldinvestments.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars for RuCap here on Reality TV Rehab Ups. We have reached a high water mark for the season in the Snatch Game. This time, a bit of a twist in the Snatch Game of Love, and we'll see if that is a high watermark or maybe a watermark of a different level. But I'm so excited to bring in these lovely people to break down everything from the third episode of this fantastic season. First, Liana Boris, imagine you're a car. Sell yourself to me. <laughs> oh, uh, Bobby! Bobby! <laughs> oh, no, yeah. we Liana talking to the wall again. Uh, Brent Wolgamont, if you had a scent, what would it be called? Uh, probably paranoia because I'm always. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Afraid that Rob's going to fire me because of something I tweeted. <laughs> <laughs> Is there going to be like a special like Tangela season release uh, that just stinks of, I don't know, the beach? I was on Survivor Sucks and someone said something really nasty to me and my response was just, hi, Tangela. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got a lot of... Uh, hate-based feelings and love-based feelings to simmer through here with the Snatch Game of Love. I want to get into it because there's a whole lot to sift through. Uh, you know, there's a lot of drama, some surprising intrigue in there, some comedy, some attempts at comedy. Uh, you know, when the Snatch Game of Love comes out, they really do boil a lot of elements of Drag Race into one hour and a half. And let, let's start off with this episode, the pre-credit sequence, post-Farah elimination. Everyone sends her out with a nice uh, group moan. But there's a couple of interesting things I want to uh, to take from this. So first off, Monet reveals that she also would have sent Farah home had she won the lip sync, uh, which she was pissed off that she didn't. But again, if you watched Valentina last week, you would understand why it was a clean sweep in a manner of speaking, even though Valentina does not know how to clean. Uh, but, you know, Monet basically talked about how Farah was given a second chance and she sort of squandered it or at least showed that maybe she's not necessarily up to snuff with everybody else. We have some Monet stuff to get into in a little bit, but I want to focus back on someone who 
Surprise, surprise is once again a focus of this episode, Miss Gia Gunn. Because the conversation about Farrah turns to, you know, Gia, do you feel like you gained closure with Farrah? Gia feels like from her perspective, she gained closure, even though it does seem like Farrah had some sour words for her on the way out based on the way she was behaving with her uh, in the previous episode. But basically, Gia sort of makes an announcement specifically to Monet and Monique, who I think she's admitted in other interviews that, you know, she didn't watch season 10, but when she entered All-Stars 4, and this happened right after the season aired, so she didn't really know who they were. So she essentially talks to them and says, you know, just so you know, this is not who I really am. Um, Monique specifically is not for that. Liana, considering what we're about to see befall Gia later on in the episode, what are your feelings towards the way she's coming across here initially? Uh, I mean, uh, on this episode or in general, because I feel like this Gia trying to make things right, but not actually making things right seems to be consistent. I mean, I think she said, at least I tried to make things better with Farah, which, you know, I don't know, given your definition of trying, I guess she tried. But I mean, it seems like everything that she's doing is falling short. And, you know, I don't know. She talks in her confessional about, oh, you know, I, this reminds me, I can't remember if this is now or later, but the, you know, season six Gia hadn't, you know, I lashed out as a coping mechanism, but that's all we're seeing. So it's really hard to gauge whether or not like putting her back in the situation is bringing out that person in her, or if she really has changed, it's really hard to tell. Hmm. Yeah, Brent, well, we obviously have a lot of feelings we can couch in Gia's general portrayal, whether intentional or unintentional later. But, you know, I know you're you're a huge fan of Monique. Any response to her specific reaction to what Gia is trying to push out here at the top? I mean, just like she was last season, I think Monique is speaking for the audience, which was, you know, it was fun with Gia in the beginning. We enjoyed her. She was a little fun, but we're not here for her now. And I'm I'm thrilled with her. I really am. And this season, this episode, more than anything, really made me realize how much I am thrilled with Gia Gunn. Like, I needed her for the first few episodes. She was fun. She was messy. But as time wore on, I was really getting tired of her shit. And more worse than that. She does the one thing that, you know, I cannot stand on Big Brother. She doesn't own her shit. And she she goes through this entire episode where she doesn't own her shit. All the stuff that she's caused, all the stuff that she's done, she chose to do. So we're going to get to it. But I cannot answer a question in the beginning about how I feel about Gia Gunn, knowing at the end that she pulls some shit on me. So moving on. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, yeah, we'll definitely put a bobby pin in this stuff, but this is a very complicated episode, and I'm not sure how to feel about it, because last episode, I mean, I was salivating at this Gia Gunn who seemed to be steering into the curve of, like, I'm a reality TV villain, and I'm going to make the most of it, and now that it's become understandably complicated, we'll talk definitely down the line about, you know, her discussion about how, you know, I think coming back to Drag Race might have brought up some things that she's not necessarily completely worked through in terms of, uh, you know, the emotion. Okay, the- let's, yeah, let, let's just stop right there. Because I can't, I, I seriously, I can't, I can't wait another 50 fucking minutes to talk about the shit that I want to talk about right now. Seriously, let's just, since we're talking about it, let's get it out right now. Or at least I want to get it out right now. Okay, Gia Gunn, I, first of all, I just want everybody to know that I watched Gia's transformation, uh, her transition surgery last night on YouTube. And I have a lot more empathy for her than I would have had coming into this podcast, which as you can tell from the sound of my voice is not a whole hell of a lot. Like, seriously, what I'm so pissed about through this entire episode was Gia, like, just 
not owning her bullshit. She goes through the entire episode, like acting, and the entire season acting a certain way, and then she gets to the end when she knows she's in trouble, and then she turns on the waterworks. And then she says, well, you know, like, it's just really hard. Like, I don't want to be looked at like a, a man who does drag. I don't want to, why do I have to do drag? I just want to be the real me, which I call horse shit that is the biggest horse shit of the season you don't want to be looked at as a man doing drag first of all like before and after you have had your transition surgery you're still doing drag you still do it it's not like rupaul's drag race is making you do anything that you wouldn't ordinarily do in real life second of all i'm sorry i'm gonna jump ahead mike but you go out on the runway looking like i'll say it a man you out of every queen up there you look the most Mainly walking out there on the runway. Come for me if you want. Write a letter to Rob if you want. But I'm going to keep it real with you all. Come out there on the runway with no titty, no shading whatsoever. I was watching the, the uh, episode with a friend of mine the first time around because I watched it twice. And my girlfriend said, is she not wearing any makeup? Like, seriously, no padding whatsoever? And then you're going to complain about looking looking like a man who's doing drag? Because seriously, just stop with the bullshit. You do not get to play that card. You do not get to act like a total bitch the entire time and then get to the end of the episode and act like, oh, well, this isn't something that I would do in my real life anyway, because it is something you would do in your real life anyway. You just wanted to come on the show and get all the benefits of coming on Drag Race and getting your name out there. And by the way, oh, she released her transition surgery video right in the middle of all so that it would get the most views. This is an entire business proposition for Gia Gunn. I get that. But then at the end of the day, you don't get to then whine and say, oh, woe is me, because it's just horse shit. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I, I have a feeling you're not done, but I'm going to take you at your word. I mean, I, I do disagree about certain things, and we can certainly get into the runway stuff later on. And maybe this is just me, I guess, having more sympathy about the complicated aspects of the transgender of it all. I mean, Gia's going to talk about in What You Pack It with Michelle Visage about how I do think there is some pressure on her as the first person to come up, po- come onto Drag Race post-transition, especially since RuPaul's extremely unnecessary incendiary comments against the trans community. I do feel like there's a certain amount of pressure on herself. And yes, I think she is a complicated persona where I do think she was certainly playing up some elements. I think she said in some postseason stuff uh, after her elimination that Oh, yeah, I was definitely playing the villain role. I wanted the airtime. I wanted the edit. But I do feel like there is some sincerity coming from that plea towards Manila. Because <laughs> Wow, you are. I, I, I'm sorry. Then I, I have some land in Alaska I would like to sell you then. If you think there's any sincerity coming from Gia Gunn. Like, I, I, like, I take your point about the fact that there was so the, the things that RuPaul said were totally out of line. And then Gia's now uh, ability to perform on Drag Race may be impacted by her expectations of, from the fans about, well, now you're the first you know, out trans contestant going on to RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, why is she the first or second? Because Peppermint came on the show and she was trans when she came onto the show. Anyway, she's one of the, one of the first. We'll say that a lot of pressure coming onto the show as someone who is trans after RuPaul said those comments. And then, but she never really addressed that. She it was never part of her of her story along the way in the beginning. But, 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 but of whose episode, fault is that? Is that her fault or is that production's fault? You know? Well, I'm just looking. Okay, they can't put words in her mouth. Okay, so in episode one, she says, "I am not a man doing drag. I am coming back to Drag Race as a, a fully realized woman who is performing in the art of drag." Okay, well then I'll hop to episode three, and all of a sudden she's complaining about looking like a man in drag again when she is going out on the runway looking like a man in drag. Everyone else on the on the runway looked more fishy than you did. So why are you complaining? 
<sighs> wow, I am I am way too sleep deprived for this. But like, here is my thoughts on the situation. I think that this is a place where you know Gia is somebody who is like everybody LGBTQ a complicated person and I think sort of like I'm seeing parallels to the vixen of you know somebody who is standing up for a particular group of people or a particular viewpoint and they have flaws because all humans are flaws and I almost sort of feel like Gia is sort of dealing with this two these two sort of conflicting things of where okay is she supposed to be this representative and then she's worried about you know not representing but she's also being her true self which is a shady fucking bitch and that's awesome or you know like that's entertaining I don't know be that but I feel like there's sort of these two conflicting viewpoints that's really hard to really view this person you know as representing a single thing when she's complicated because we're all complicated yeah she doesn't represent anything to me she's just gia gun she's there for fun she's 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 a person she deserves light and love and that's about it for me uh, because i i don't know what else is real from her i do feel like with some of the contestants on rupaul's drag race i get to know who they are i felt like i got more out of that video that i watched of her surgery last night that anything i ever got off rupaul's drag race like there's seriously there's just no way for me to get to know gia because i felt like the entire time she was putting on a persona she was going to play the villain that's what she was going to do it just bugged me that at the end when she's getting ready to fall on her sword she's like well no i mean like i don't really want to be looked at this way i don't I, all that shady stuff that's just stuff that's coming back to me no you chose to do that like own your bullshit i'm sorry i i don't mean to harp on that it's just i i can't stand I I pray one day I get on some sort of a reality show where I then have to own all my bullshit that I say along the way and people can come for me and say, Fran, it isn't so easy, is it? But like, as far as look, as far as I'm sitting in this chair, I'm going to call people out on it because that's what I do. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, we'll definitely talk about this down the line. I mean, it, it, can people do that in an all-star scene? And I know that from our perspective, we can say, Oh yes, this is hella fun to see somebody do this type of thing and not give a crap about how people think about them in the community outside of that. But considering that, as you said, Brent, this is sort of a, you know, people are trying to wring business propositions out of this. Talk about the 100K all you want to. It's more about the publicity than anything. Do you want to necessarily, you know, besmirch people that much? And look, I I feel like she was damned if you did, damned if you didn't. I'm, I'm pretty sure I listened to an uh, interview that Monet did with Bob the Drag Queen on their podcast where... Monet even said, like, oh, it doesn't matter. G is still a bitch. But you have to wonder, and I don't want to put myself too much in her head, because as Liana said, she's an inherently complicated person. Uh, but you do have to wonder if there was a little bit of backpedaling going on, which, Brent, you seem to take a lot of umbrage with. Yeah, I just, I mean, I, I guess I would have appreciated it more, and I think the audience would have appreciated it more, you know, if you're looking at it for, as a business opportunity, as, you know, marketing uh, thing, that, you know, own your villainess. Like, own, like people love Gia Gunn because she's a shit store. And then at the end, when she decides, you know what, I don't want to be that person anymore, I feel like that was, that was a bad call on her part. If that was a conscious decision on her part to say, you know what, I'm going to do this, to try to, you know, put a tidy bow on the end of my Drag Race All-Stars story, I think that was a bad call on her part i would rather i would rather seen her said you know what i wasn't prepared i did a, a terrible job but you know what if you keep me here i'll keep you here that I, I would love to see her try to make an alliance at the end instead it was all about boohoo what was me and uh, i would i would like her i would like to see her walk out with her head held high never regretting anything and i would have stand her until the end of time but instead she's a hypocrite and i'm not here for it to be fair, mm -hmm. if you t listen to her at the mirror, she doesn't seem to, to regret anything. She still talks about how, you know, uh, I showed my true talent and I stirred up some drama. So, again, 
and if we're talking about sort of like the roller coaster of the way she's perceiving herself, it does end on that note that you're speaking about, but it does seem like, to your point, there does seem to be the sticking point in her conversation specifically with Manila where things do break down. I don't know, maybe maybe it's me being extremely naive. I do think that there's an immense amount of pressure on her. I know you say, Brent, that you don't feel like she's a representative of anything, but I would say that I think it's understandable for her to think that she is. She talks about in her What You Packing about the fact that, you know, I it's it's very pressurizing to come on and feel like you need to sort of be the teacher of trans issues in the drag community when she herself has transitioned what only a few years ago she's still learning what it's like to be gia gun the woman and she's essentially thinking that the community is going to not be asking her like okay we look to you in terms of like how trans people interact with the drag community, which is an inherently complicated subject. I spent a load of time before this podcast looking through a bunch of publications written by trans people that are much smarter than I am about the complicated issues that come with the drag community and trans people within the drag community and RuPaul's involvement all the way back to You've Got Shemail and the, 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 the comments about having to get rid of it along with the ladyboy of it all. It's an inherently complicated decades-long history queer historians are still trying to figure out to this day. So I, I do give a bit of, you know, sympathy there because I can't imagine when things are about to come crashing down and you realize how much of an envoy you may be unintentionally serving and how that's going to come across. It, it can be a harrowing situation, in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah. By the way, Liana, are you awake right now? I just wanted to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> Brent, and I are, Brent and I are far I'm too snoring. loud for us to, to keep Liana asleep, basically. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I have my earplugs in. It's fine. Um, Liana, Liana started this podcast by telling us that she was on a red eye and her sleep wasn't exactly up to par. And then, like, I start the discussion. She's like, I am far too sleep deprived for this discussion. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did forget about that a little bit. I'm acting like it's 9 p.m. at night and I'm talking with Taryn Armstrong and Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> were people not listening did they miss when i said that oh it i thought you said it before if you, we started if you missed out on the podcast 10 minutes ago oh, you were sorry. asleep on your own this is one of those times oh did you did, by the way did you hear the end of the the end of the um uh year podcast with rob where i did that apparently with taryn but then melissa does it with me like five minutes later like where like literally like taryn says something and i i say some i say the exact same thing like five minutes later but and taryn's like i just said that I'm like, oh, really? I, 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 sorry, I drifted off. And then, like five minutes later, Melissa does the same thing to me, and she, and I'm like, I just said that. She's like, oh, really? Sorry, I drifted off. By the way, guys, let me report to you: the uh, figure skating finals are looking really great. Right now. <laughs> my friend was like, my friend who who texted me the results, who uh, I, I, you know, I referred to uh, last week. Said like, oh, I have to listen to this podcast. So she listened to it. She was like, I could not believe how irritated Mike was with you. She's like, he was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> just, it's like the fucking the freaking snatch game of love you just totally like pulled a gia and was like just like coming out of nowhere with this complete non sequitur and i was like the tree's just like rolling my eyes just like trying to compose myself <laughs> just kidding i've listened we're if you know if you consider the podcast that leon and i do on a regular basis we are all for going off the rails and that's what this podcast is for so i'm here for it all right all right well we can get back to the beginning yeah i'm before, sorry before you, no 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 this is good talk i mean and we're gonna have a lot of gia stuff to tuck into later on before we get into uh the meat of it i do want to talk briefly about look i i know i can't really talk out of both sides of my mouth here because i've talked about how much i love valentina's purposeful staginess and we get even more in this episode that i really want to chew into but i'll admit here a lot of the like trinity stuff this episode seemed a little a little fake, 
a little stage to me, a little like Duck Dynasty scripted, unscripted show type of stuff. Starting here with her like conversations with Monet, where the two of them are just sort of like spitting back and forth at each other about, you know, making fun of each other's wardrobe. Liana, did you have any thoughts about like this uh, little sequence to take us into the credits here between Monet and Trinity? Uh, I mean, I guess you could say it was fake, but I feel like even if it was staged, there was definitely an undertone of realness to it. Like, I genuinely believe that Trinity thinks Monet is cheap and doesn't think that she deserves to be an all-star because of it. So, you know, I don't know. Monet with the gown question, but uh, Trinity towards Monet, I think that that's real. Yeah, my favorite moment of the entire thing was Trinity to Monet. Like, bitch, look at your closet, then look at mine. Snatched. Girl, bye. Sit down. (laughs) Like, it's over at that point. Uh, I do take your point that it could feel a little bit stagey to people. And and I, But here's the thing. I think it was just two drag queens throwing shade at each other. And I do this with my friends all the time. People ask me, like, like my, my friend Brian, who I do slots with, and he, like, says stuff to me that you wouldn't say to ordinary people. And he'll and people are like, why are you being so mean to Brent? Like, be nice to Brent. And I'm like, he's just having fun with me. Like, like you guys are taking mm-hmm. this way too seriously. You guys, you guys don't understand our relationship. And so I do feel like I do take Liana's point that there's an element of realness to what Trinity is saying about Monet. But I also think there's like the reason it felt stagey to me and the reason that Trinity is almost laughing as she's saying some of the things she's saying to Monet is because it's just shade. And she's like, well, girl, I'm going to look at your closet, girl. Well, well, you know, she, well she, there's no real animosity between them whatsoever. So I feel like the show with the music, with the dun, 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 you know, that sort of thing, it was a lot about nothing, basically. Yeah, and I think we're going to talk a bit about how there's a lot of drama involved that sort of amounts to, you know, a pretty straightforward elimination at the end of the day. Maybe it sets things up down the line. Maybe we'll see some more Monet and Trinity sparring. But for now, it's just a nice way for these two queens to argue about who has the uh, the better closet of it all. Let's get into the next day here. And Rue cuts right to it. Uh, you know, through the fire and the flames, these queens will go, much like Rue's suit, as they are doing a snatch game with a catch. We talked about this last week. It's going to be the snatch game of love. We'll talk more about the actual snatch game of love later on. But I guess we can ask at the top here. Liana, what did you think overall about this change? And I guess, you know, it might be influenced by the actual results that happened with the impressions therein. But do you think do you think Drag Race should institute the Snatch Game of Love moving forward? Or was this sort of a one and done for you? Um, I thought it was a lot of fun. I'm definitely okay with changing things up and trying something new. But I thought the biggest pitfall of this type of structure was the fact that you didn't get all eight queens interacting together. And I think that that's some, you know, some of the funnest stuff that we get from Snatch Game is having the queens interact. And, you know, you limit that pool to only four of the queens at a time. And so for me, that was where I thought it fell a little short. Yeah, I'll probably disagree with you. I actually liked the smaller, more intimate setting with the four-on-four of the, of it all. Uh, and for two reasons. Number one, because I felt like we got to see more of the Queen's performances. It, it, there was basically nowhere for them to hide. And number two, they had to interact with somebody. It wasn't just snatch game, fill in the blank, and you get to say whatever you want. And no matter what the question is, you can literally find an answer for anything to be funny. But when Gus Cantworthy and Keenan Linesdale, who, by the way... Uh, uh, my number is seven seven three three. Okay, anyway, um, both of you. I'm just saying. Uh, and by the way, the end. The end thing with them thumb wrestling. I have uh, screen caps of them in that wrestling attire. Just, just want to point that out. Uh, oh I hope you have Photoshop on your computer. I know, right? So I can yeah, only yeah. imagine what you're going to do with that imagination. Oh my god! All right. So, uh, what was I saying? I'm, I lost. Oh, they have to interact with him and him, and that's the problem because a lot of the queens were not able to interact with their snatchlerette. 
That was the problem the entire time. They didn't know how to play off of somebody else. And that's that takes Snatch Game to an entirely new level. I do enjoy the fact that they changed it up this year. I think going forward, I don't know if they're going to keep the dating game aspect of it, because you know, maybe they want to do something different. But I do think that this adds another layer to Snatch Game to really separate uh, the women from the girls. Because I think that some people really succeeded because they were able to come up with things on the spot that were funny. And other people really failed because they had gone to a Wikipedia page and found some things that they thought were funny <laughs> about a certain person, and it just didn't work. And I felt like that that showed in this challenge. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Brent here in terms of I really like the concept of this challenge. It actually really combines Snatch Game with elements of something like The Bitchler or The Bossy Rossi Show in terms of like not only is it celebrity impersonation, this is probably the most improv-intensive version of the Snatch Game because, again, like, as Brent said, you can fill in the blank and do whatever you want, uh, you know, whether to your benefit or your detriment. But here, you know, you'll get docked points if you don't actually answer the questions. If you segue into a complete non sequitur, it's it's a really thin uh, thread to essentially loop through there uh, to do it correctly. And you see that a lot of queens fell as a result. So it really tests, you know, a, a set of skills that isn't really hasn't really been baked into the snatch game in a long time, not since the early days. Does make me question a bit as to why we're getting another improv challenge next week. Uh, but we can get to that in a little bit. The, so I like those elements. I'm still not sure about the dating game aspect of it all. I, I know this doesn't matter a lick. I was a little disappointed that inherent within the, the dating game uh, structure is the fact that the Bachelor cannot see the contestants. So, like, if you have someone like Monet who's trying to go for something visual, uh, it's going to be lost on whoever's not looking at her because, uh, not to say that Monet was actually pulling stuff off, but, you know, they can't see her getting sweatier, so the je- the joke doesn't necessarily work. And then you have this sort of like, Naomi made a good moment out of it, but like the very prolonged, like, okay, we'll bring the wall away. And then each of them will approach you as they leave. You know, I I felt like that was a bit of pomp and circumstance, but I do feel like what this did provide was a nice clean divide. I feel like snatch games in seasons past have had like an awkward cut in the middle, just because it's a big to do. And I do agree with Brent that I think having four people there it puts less pressure on the queens to, you know, interact with everybody and interject and make sure your voice is heard. But at the same time, it almost puts more pressure on yourself because, I mean, if the assumption is only one queen will win out of this group, now you're saying, okay, like, these are three people I need to compete against, but now they have the ability to talk over me more as well. So I sort of like that tug of war. I think that if they continue with this, hopefully this was like the the beta version the sloppy copy because i will say overall and i i hate saying this each and every time we do the snatch game i was kind of disappointed with it overall i i think that there were a couple things that we'll definitely talk about that i admired but nothing was i'll disagree with you ross nothing here was uh was iconic or top five worthy for me in the vast history of of uh of snatch game but we can get to that. I, I, we all, I'm sure, definitely have some feelings about it. Wait, I, I have a question about the okay, the way that the judging worked because I know that this is how the cards fell, but I wasn't sure if this was the way it was designed. Was it that the the winner from each group was gonna be the winner in the end, or like, no. could you? Okay, so you yeah. could have theoretically have had two people from the same group be the two lip syncing for their legacy. Yeah, totally. That's okay, the way I okay. understood okay, it. Okay. I think, I mean, I, I mean, you know, so correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, as far as I can tell, RuPaul picked the top three, and then from that 
top three pick the top two. Mm-hmm. I do think that it speaks well of the show that the two people that got selected by each celebrity were the two people who were standing at the end. Uh, it also made me feel good about the competition. Like, you know, Gus really did think that um, uh, 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 Trinity was the funniest and mm-hmm. the one who made them laugh the most. And Keenan really did think that Manila was the best and she probably was. And so you're looking at these two going, well, hey, you know, th- that's an honest reaction from somebody who isn't being paid by the show. I mean, I know they're being paid by the show, but they're not being paid, you know, going forward by the show. They're just there to give their opinion. And I mean, who knows if the producer said something to them, but I have to think this was their call about who they wanted to date as their snatchler or snatchlerette. Mm-hmm. Whatever. <laughs> I lose track. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah g- like, like you said, G- has set up his own sort of logic behind it. So you'd have to assume like, I mean, I guess the, it was sort of assumed that, like, yeah, you pick whoever made you laugh the right. most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's what I think. All right, well, let's go into, you know, we, we can talk a bit about the choices and the characterizations behind each of these queens. They sort of vocalize who they want to do. The big drama comes out of Gia versus Trinity, Caitlyn Jenner Gate of 2018. Who is going to play Caitlyn Jenner? There's a lot of stuff baked into this. But again, I will start off by saying, you know, I can understand points about how the Monet Trinity stuff felt more like shade, just two girls just sort of going at each other in a playful way. I don't know. For me, there was something between, like, everyone gathered around them that seemed very like The Hills in terms of, like, <laughs> this is too immaculately filmed to feel like this is real. And the fact that they were so rat-a-tat against each other, maybe it's just because they're both whip-smart, but I don't know. There was There was a little bit of fakery a little bit of silicone injected into this scene for me uh liana general thoughts about this confrontation before we get into the more minute aspects of it you thought the gia trinity thing was fake i thought well okay i okay i don't know maybe it's just gia but like i genuinely believe that gia would be oblivious enough to just be like yeah i'm gonna do caitlin jenner and they're gonna let me do caitlin jenner um so i i don't know i thought there was some legit like back and forth between it but that was just my interpretation yeah. also my Go favorite ahead. quote came out well my favorite quote came out of it with um gia saying like you know she's trans caitlin's trans so it makes sense but trinity being old a white bitch with a lot of plastic surgery makes more sense ah! i was dying yeah i think that the thing the thing for me was specifically the what you want to do is not necessarily what you're gonna do vice versa like maybe just because i thought uh. that that seemed too too good to be unscripted. Maybe that's sort of like where my sense is coming from. <laughs> well, like it's too smart for Gia. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of agree with Mike on that one. That was the one where my antenna did go up. And I was like, that sounds like something that you would say if you were thinking like, I want to make a really bitchy reality show. And this is what I'm going to say in this scene. That it did feel like that. But everything else about it, everything else about it felt authentic to the point where all of the girls are gathered around and they're listening to, okay, well, what are you, what are you going to do for Caitlin? What are you going to do for Caitlin? And I like the fact that basically they all sided mm-hmm. with Trinity and they looked at Gia and they were like, what else you got? <laughs> well, I, I also love, there's so many good reactions. To this first Monique taking her like Alexis Michelle hat of producer being like gooped fan. And that's when y'all should cut to commercial right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then freaking extra valentina i don't know if you guys noticed this but when gia said you know i don't have a backup valentina turns and looks to everyone else with the biggest surprise face ever as if to say like what the audacity it just (laughs) it's such a she's so freaking weird and i love that she's really buying into that this season because her reactions are just so so gift worthy three episodes in 
That is the person out of everybody. I'll just say it right now. Uh, I, I'll talk about this little spat in a second, but that is the person who I am so here for this entire season. That is the person that is owning their bullshit the entire time. No matter what, she carries herself like a fucking champion the entire time. I'm talking about Valentina. I love her. I think out of everybody on Drag Race who has like come back, she is the person so far to me that has gotten the most out of her to airtime. Like I, I am such a, a fan, like a stan of her from her looks to the way she carries herself to her confessionals that are all so funny where she's like, oh! and then she gives that like that surprise look and she's like, sus, a scandal. And she starts like, when she said the how dare you thing in Spanish, like, oh my gosh, like everything about Valentina this season, I'm just loving. So that probably colors a little bit what I think about the judging at the end and how I think they got it wrong. But I do enjoy what she's giving us more than anything. Uh, Gia felt a little fake to me. I, I do wonder about uh, what she was thinking in terms of doing Caitlyn Jenner, because it would, to me, it was like uh Trinity Taylor when she said to her something like, where are the jokes? Again, you know, it's, <laughs> where are the jokes? Where are the jokes? That's I have that on speed dial now for you, Mike, whenever I'm talking to you and you say something <laughs> that's not funny. <laughs> You're gonna be pressing Where that button a lot. Yeah, the button's gonna get worn out by the time this podcast is over. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, I mean, uh, by far Valentina's best line for me is is and during the deliberations with her. You think I can go home? Like oh, the yes, so, <laughs> so good. Well, so telenovela, so well done, so hokey that it just I don't know. It, it touches me in a lot of fun places. And then she goes to the confessional. She's like, so Trinity says that Manila is thinking about sending me home. <gasps> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> and there's also because she like shaved off her eyebrows. There's yes. something even more extra to it because she doesn't have eyebrows. I'm yes. here for it. <laughs> and every time she walks into the workroom, like we, we, we didn't even talk about this. Every time she walks into the workroom, she's got a new thing. That, yes. and, and I love the fact that the camera gives her airtime. Like they don't have to show that. And they do like they show it every freaking time because she's got something to show us every time she walks into the workroom. I mean, I am so here for Valentina. I also love the fact that everyone just sort of is over it, too. Like it used to be in the past, like like we talked about last episode. Oh, you know, Gia allows herself to walk behind Valentina to get her moment aired. Now there are a lot of solo cuts because I feel like everyone else just goes right to the work badge. Like, yeah, yeah Valentina will have her like yeah. three seconds to, yeah. to pose for the camera. We'll get to do our shit. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. She's like doing her thing. They're rolling their eyes. So there's definitely some clips of that. It was lovely. <laughs> By the way, uh, the, the thing about this fight, though, I when Latrice was like or when uh, Gia was like, well, I don't have a backup, but I guess I could do jenny boy and i'm like first of all i do think she had a, a backup and i do think that jenny boy was her backup she just didn't want to say it she wanted to act like well this is all i have that way you all will let me do it i think that's why that was probably her angle there uh and then latrice when she heard like maybe two seconds of jenny she was like oh you should do that girl you should do that <laughs> <laughs> well Shady. i do want to I do want to talk about something here where, you know, it was the two of them basically vying over Caitlyn Jenner. And Gia sort of makes a point of how, you know, I think it would make sense for me to portray Caitlyn Jenner. She makes a point to say, you know, I'd assumed that Caitlyn Jenner would be sort of abdicated to me because she's trans and I'm trans. Liana, what do you think about Gia's point there? Obviously, it's a bit of a sticky topic to address, but do you agree with her? Do you think that because she shares this with Caitlyn Jenner, she should be the one who has the responsibility of playing the role. Well, I mean, I, I, I no, I mean, I don't know. Be whoever you want to be. Like we've seen. Oh, I mean, who was it? Um, 
Didn't Kenny Davenport do Little Richard? I don't know. Like, we see people do, like, a crazy variety of characters. And I don't think that it's necessarily inherent. Like, just because you have this one similarity to another person that makes, you know, oh, obviously you have to do this person because, you know, you are Latina or black or white or old. You know, Charlie Hydes, if she had made it all the way there, you know, she would have had the lock on Santa Claus. So, you know, I I don't know. I don't know. But uh, you, you can't claim. You got to fight it out. You got to fight it out. Yeah, but two things. Number one, I think that really the queens just need to work it out. And whoever's the funnier is the person that's going to get to do it. I don't think anybody gets to be advocated for anything. Secondly, I would actually like it one time if both queens were just totally intractable and said, you know what? I'm going to do uh, Caitlyn Jenner. And Gia's like, you know what? I'm going to do Caitlyn Jenner. Yes. And they both do Caitlyn Jenner. I wanted Jenner. that. Yes. yes. I wanted that. I think that would be an, an, an interesting angle because you both go th- go out there and do Caitlyn Jenner and one of these is going to be funnier than the other. And all you have to do is basically beat that other person and you're not in the bottom two. So I, I'm kind of here for something like that. I think it'd be hilarious for RuPaul to be like, a, like on a regular match game, snatch game, to go up there and like, hello, and like, you know, this is Caitlyn Jenner. Welcome. And here we have another Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it would have been really interesting if they were in the same group as well yes, of just yes. like trying to battle each other and, and i don't know gus would be like i don't know two of them sound really similar so i'm not entirely sure who i should go for yeah here. if only yeah I know, right? <laughs> oh my god but when gia was they asked gia or gia was like you know what way are you gonna take it and gia was like well you know i'm gonna take the comedic route and it's like yeah it's snatch game <laughs> Don't for the dramatic route or the yeah. informative route, which is what Valentina went. <laughs> Reading the Wikipedia page, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we, we can definitely get into this because I want to segue into the meat of the issue. Let's talk about the Snatch Game of Love Impressions. And you know what? We might as well pair it uh, much like a nice pair of boots with the boots down the house, the boots the house down look. That's a lot to say uh, that we talk about on the runway. But first, Brent mentioned before our guest judges here, uh, Gus Kenworthy and Keenan Lonsdale. Liana, any overall thoughts from both a visual and creative perspective with these two gentlemen? Oh my God. Okay. So I don't know if you guys caught this, but when they, uh, at the, the very, the like intro of the show, when Gus was walking down the runway, didn't he like pull off a hat and had yes. pedals? Confetti or something? Yeah. Oh my God. I was so here for it. I mean, I thought they did, both did a great job, but I mean, Gus just like he was living his best life. Well, to me, Keenan was living his best life. First of all, I have been a huge fan of him. I am a huge fan of DC and The Flash on the CW. And so, of course, people that don't know, he plays uh, Kid Flash on The Flash, and then he moved over to Legends of Tomorrow. And I loved him. I actually didn't know that he was Australian, and he does a great American accent uh, to go with his beautiful Australian one. So I loved everything about him. Gus, I have followed on social media since the day he came out. I didn't know who he was before that, but the day he came out... And remember, like I got into a fight with, with somebody on Twitter a couple days ago. I know, shocker, I got into a fight on Twitter. With somebody, seriously, who was coming for Gus Kentworthy, and they were like, well, you know, all the, all the people like him because he's like a normal gay, but if he was a person of color or somebody who was a little more femme, they wouldn't really like him. And I'm like, you know what? Step back, bitch. Show some respect. Seriously, this is a guy who is the only athlete that I know of who came out at the top of his game. Like He was the world champion in downhill skiing when he decided to come out. Like Most guys I know, professional athletes that have come out, everyone that I've seen is somebody who's come out past their prime or already retired. 
And then they decide, you know what, I'm going to come out because, and I understand, you know, I wasn't a professional athlete, so I couldn't necessarily judge, you know, who can be out and who's not. I'm sure it was really tough to be out like in the eighties or the nineties or, you know, the early two thousands, but Gus came out at the top of his game. And so I am really here for him to be on an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. He had fun with it. He was a blast. He was there. I like it. I was kind of bummed with Keenan. He kind of like turned to the side. They did a kiss at the end of the snatch game where like the two bachelors or the snatchlers decided to kiss and Gus like went in for the kiss, but then Keenan like turned his face. So it was like his cheek. And I'm like, why are you turning down a kiss from Gus Kenworthy? Oh my God. I was like, I can't, I can't with you. But other than that, I thought everything was really fun. And by the way, Keenan's look on the runway uh, for, for the judging panel, everything. Oh my God. I love that. Yeah, so it's good. very rare. It's very rare when a guest judge overshadows basically everyone, yeah. all the queens on stage with their outfits. But I mean, I think it's um. He says, uh, I think to Gia, like, oh, I want to own that outfit. And Michelle's like, you got a pretty damn good one right now, and I completely agree. And uh, by the way, and they were so game. The, the little uh, mm. thumb wrestling thing they did to get dressed up in that. You know, most celebrities are not going to do shit like that. That makes them look funny. They both were here for it. Also, Gus. Getting really real for a second when he's like, you know, I slept with Ross last night and Gus and Ross is like, yeah, I got a gold medal. And Gus is like, I came second. Yes, <laughs> I was here for that. And you can see on social media, like he relished the fact that he finally got to like throw out quips and puns on the runway, which he got in a fair amount, which you don't usually say about a lot of some of the guest judges that come onto the show. What I will say about Keenan, I'm very glad Keenan sort of came into his own as a guest judge on the runway because I'll admit. He wasn't really giving it to me in the snatch game. I, yeah, he was a little know. quiet. He was yeah, a little I don't, shy. I don't, I don't know if it was nerves or the fact that this was like a big live setting where there was a lot of kinetic energy going around, but he was just sort of like, I'll admit it, a little plain Jane reading those questions off. So I'm really glad I, if he loosened up or something getting to the runway because I think I had so much more fun with him. And I'm saying bring these two back, you know, for season 11 at least because I think they're both just so fun. This is where I take Liana's point that I think the wall definitely wasn't working for him. I think if he'd gotten to meet all of these queens and like interact with them for like five minutes and say, you know, hey, 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 and like get some chemistry going with them and mm-hmm. then go over to the wall and then ask the question, it still would have worked fine. And who knows if he did get to do this? I don't think he did, but uh, I, I can't imagine he did because he really wasn't comfortable whatsoever. If he would have gotten to know them and just got a little more comfortable in the setting, I do feel like that his performance would have been a little bit better. It just seemed very stilted. It reminded me of like what, when you're a gay guy and you're sort of out, but then you go into a show and you're, you're, you're kind of stuck between like that. And I did this, by the way, if you want to see me act the butchest I've ever acted i think it was my audition video for rob as a podcast like when you're in a new setting as a gay guy i think you naturally try to hold back some of your flaminess and i feel like that's sort of what was happening with keenan that he was in a new setting and he was trying to act quote normal and then as time wore on he said you know what i can let my hair down and i can be myself but it would took a little bit of time to get there it was like once he put on his uh vest africa super suit like that was when he came into his life and it was yeah yeah it was so much better to see him i totally i love the distinction totally true all right well let's get into each of these queens so again we'll talk about both their snatch game of love impression and we'll throw in some comments about their boots the house down look as well let's start with monet here monet came in with probably the Highest amount of expectation from the audience. Again, as I talked about last time, we didn't have anyone who inherently won their original Snatch game on this season, but 
this is one of the times where Monet was really like on top of her game. She ended up in the top. Maya Angelou is the thing that she's probably that and sponges, honestly, are probably the two best things she's known for from season 10. She comes in to portray the immortal Whitney Houston. She basically tries to pull off what Asia O'Hara was going to do and then backed away from last time, albeit without the drug references. And she wound up in the middle, which, according to this panel, I think did come as a bit of a surprise. So I'll shoot it over to you, Brent, first. Give me your thoughts about Monet in this episode and how it did surprise you when her name was called first to be saved. Uh, Monet, I have this to say. Again, yeah, I don't understand. Where are the jokes? What the hell was happening with this? This was a train wreck. I don't understand how this, how, how was this safe? Okay, I know that we're going to talk about it. I know that some people came for Valentina and they said that she was reading a Wikipedia of everything about Eartha Kitt. But so was Monet. That's all she did is Whitney Houston and worse. Oh, and worse. She got the information wrong. Like her first question from Gus Countworthy is like, what would you give me or something like that? You know, if uh, as a good lover or something, she's like, well, I'd give you good love. My number one single from 1998, my, my debut album. Did you buy it, Gus? First of all, that's not her debut album. Her debut album was actually from 1985. Why do I know that? Because I was 10 years old as a gay boy with a hairbrush in my hand with a freaking microphone. And by the way, at 10 years old, I was a better Whitney Houston than Monet was on the Snatch Game of Love. That's the real tea. I, 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 seriously, I don't even know how you do something like this. And then you're like, you know what? I'm going to pick some Wikipedia information about Whitney Houston and then get it so wrong. Again, she said 1998. It wasn't 1998. It was on her debut album from 1985. I'm like, that is a big miss. It's not even like she transposed the numbers. And aside from that, she did something else later on where she's like, what would you give me or sell yourself to me? And she's like, I'd give you all the men I ever need. Thank you, RuPaul. Thank you. It was just basically she was quoting songs. That's all she did. And then she said the thing about Bobby, Bobby. And this is the thing that I have a problem with. She talked like Monet. Yeah. The entire time. And I don't understand how somebody like Valentina, who you can quibble with the fact that there were no jokes. And I think there were jokes because I was watching it with people and they were howling at Valentina. But putting that aside for a second, she had a fully realized performance and committed performance as Eartha Kitt. I don't know what the fuck Monet was doing. I mean, this was terrible to me. And the, the runway outfit, I talked to a few people like, well, how the hell was she safe? And they're like, well, apparently RuPaul must have liked the runway outfit more. I'm like, I don't see it. This is okay, but I'm not a big fan of the cut around the waist area. And to me, it makes her look boy body. It makes her look heavy. And like, it almost looked like she needs like a beer on each side. <laughs> Where she's got her thighs open. Like, I, this, this, I'm not trying to be a Monet hater here. I liked some, I remember, I love Monet last week. But this was, this was terrible. And she deserved to be in the bottom two. And you know what? I was one of those people who was so mad. I went onto Twitter and I told her, well, you really should have been in the bottom two. Because I was so mad oh, at no. this result. You added her? Uh... I didn't add her. She said something on Twitter. And I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to let you know what I think. And she didn't respond. So whatever. <laughs> oh my god okay so when i was watching her performance on snatch game the only thing i could think was i don't think she's ever seen a video of whitney houston ever because i didn't really know what was happening because it, like you said it was 
her doing her own voice mixed with a little bit of Eartha Kitt still. Like it was a little bit left over. And I think in terms of the, yeah, I, I, I didn't really get it at all. And, you know, going for a visual gag is really hard, obviously given the constraints of the challenge, um, you know, with the wall there. Um, and then the runway look though, I think I was a little higher on. I actually thought she looked thick. As a bowl of oatmeal, and I was here for it. Um, <laughs> but I did look a little cheap, so I can see a criticism from that perspective. But um, but I I liked the runway personally. So I'll start. I guess I'll start with the runway, where I think this was a Laganja Stranja maybe talking about this at the pit stop. I really like the wig. You know, Monet again is really shying away from these pussycat wigs, uh, and she is doing that full force here. And I really liked the cut of it. And I, I think the outfit is fun. Like I like this idea i think it's very rare that athletics make their way into drag rates for an understandable reason so i like the acknowledgement of the motocross of it all i think my issue with this which is an issue i have with some of the outfits this week and i think it's actually vocalized when they talk about naomi's outfit during the judges critiques is like the theme is boots the house down you want the audience's eyes to be drawn to the boots first and I'll admit, I guess mine is drawn first because they're big old hunks of plastic that are colored, you know, neon blue. But I would say that there's nothing here that really accentuates the idea of the boots. To me, I, I still like the the unconventional colors of it all and the theming around it. I just wonder if maybe the execution could have been a bit stronger because it didn't necessarily, in my opinion, pull her out of this snatch game performance. Where I thought of, I thought she started off actually really strong with that introduction where. You know, to your point, Liana, whether or not she's seen Whitney Houston videos, she did get down to the beginning, the the like uh, very speedy talking pattern of like, what are you talking about, RuPaul? RuPaul, what are you talking about? Like just sort of repeating yourself and talking faster and faster, which may or may not have to do with uh, the use of drugs. Again, RuPaul sort of bans that talk from happening in terms of Snatch Game. But then from there, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's the point we made before about how Snatch Game of Love did not, does not necessarily allow you to come in there with a lot of pre-scripted things and come out successfully. Where, like you said, Brian, I think she was trying to to segue a lot of things into facts that she knows, which may or may not be true, about <laughs> Whitney Houston that did not necessarily work. There was one point where she was doing the Bobby thing where she, like, drops her cigarette and she has to, like, awkwardly, you know, step down and, and pick it up. That was terrible, by the way. Like, that, I, I don't know why that, that really struck me as being so sad when she dropped her cigarette and had to bend down to pick it up. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. I, I well, take your point about the uh, the boots, though. The thing is that I, if I said that criticism about Monet, I would probably have to just repeat that criticism ad hoc all on down the line for every almost every queen here because I think a lot of them mm-hmm. went into this like, okay, I'm going to wear boots, but that's not going to be the focal point of my outfit. And ironically, the person who I think the boots were most the focal point of the outfit was the person who I think probably had the cheapest looking outfit. So I don't know. I don't think anybody really succeeded in this runway. I think it was... I, I think it was just a big miss. It was not my favorite. Mm-hmm. I love the concept, though. But yeah, the execution was just, mm, um, no. Well, let's talk about someone who ends up in the top three for the third week in a row. Talk about consistency here. Naomi Smalls knew she had a lot of ground to make up, considering that her take on the most blasé Tiffany New York Pollard that has ever existed landed her in the bottom two in season eight. Here she comes out doing her best Wendy Williams uh, wows the crowd to their feet, and then they subsequently faint. Even though she does get knocked a bit on the runaway, she does end up here in the top three. Liana, was Naomi in your top three from a performance and runway perspective? Yeah, I mean, I thought she did a great job in the Snatch Game. I thought she was funny. So when she... um 
as part of like the holiday uh, tour, she when she was in New Haven, she did like a lip sync to Wendy Williams, which was super good. So of course it's like okay, she's gonna do it for a snatch game. Um, but I thought she did a great job. It was new. Um, she had that like I don't know if you guys saw, but that giant mug in the workroom, and I was really hoping she would bring that out. But uh, I thought she did great regardless. Um, and then in terms of her boots the house down look. Oh, I was so disappointed because when I first saw her walk out with those horns, I was like, oh, she's going to have those like um, hoof boots and it's going to be this like animal realness sort of thing. And then they weren't even boots. And I was like, that doesn't count. Hey, I was so disappointed. Uh, I thought I could have maybe potentially put her in the top if she had actually worn boots. Yeah, I would have called her safe just for the fact that she didn't have boots on. Like, I wouldn't have even had a, a top three. I would just had a top two because everyone else failed miserably. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand what happened with this. How can you? How can you go into a challenge knowing it's boots the house down and you don't wear boots? It's you're wearing sandals with like straps on your ankles. I don't understand. The thing that saved her was this wonderful Statch Game performance, which I was really blown away by. I have to say that I did not expect much. Again, it's all about expectations. Mm-hmm. With Monet, we expected a lot, and we got nothing. With her, we, you know, she did New York before, and she was freaking terrible, and this time she seemed really comfortable in her own skin. That's really what it's about. It's being comfortable in your own skin and being able to interact with the other panelists in a way that is believable or at least catchy and funny or punny, and she was able to do that. She had a really strong opening and a really strong ending. I definitely agree with Michelle. That's probably one of the only times I'm going to say this in this podcast where it got lost a little bit in the middle, but it was never bad. It was Mm -hmm. just from safe to really good. And the ending was so unexpected. I guess I should have seen that coming. I don't know why I didn't. I guess it's because uh, Wendy Williams is you know known for the, how you doing? How you doing? That whole thing. And they were doing that at, you know, to the extreme. And so I sort of, tag her with that ism and i kind of forgot about the other thing that she's famous for and they didn't cut to her like you never saw her putting on the statue of liberty hat all of a sudden she just walked over there she had it on and she did such a great pratfall it was so great i loved it it was fun unexpected and she pulled it off well so congratulations naomi you made me laugh yeah and you have to you know i think in terms of comedic bits endings are the most important part. You want to leave them laughing. And she definitely did that. It was completely unexpected to Rue, to Gus, to the audience. I had totally, I guess, temporarily forgotten about Wendy Williams' fate dig. And so I yeah, love that. That sort of just came back into my memory with one fell swoop. I will disagree a bit that, like, she might have lagged a bit in the middle. Actually, there was a point where we didn't really see her interact much. But I did love her back and forth with Caitlyn Jenner about, you know, uh, where she says, yeah, my bathroom is the only place I'll take my wig off. Caitlin says, I feel sorry for that mirror. I like a long sleeve. It takes the edge off. When he says, I'm still trying to take the edge off that Vanity Fair cover. Uh, yeah. again, like, <laughs> like I, I think, you know, this is a big if. If, you know, Trinity was not on that panel, if we switch any of the others from the other panel on, I think Naomi actually wins this. Because I think she yeah. was one of the, she had a, some great back and forth. She was able to, you know, yeah. provide her, her you don't think so? Uh, well, I mean, I, I'll say this. Her her best bit was after they already named the Snatchlorette winner. That's the problem. So they named a winner, and then they came over to meet her. I think if Gus had to pick after they came over to meet him, he might have actually picked Wendy Williams because that was so funny at the end. But but by then, he had already picked the winner. So I don't like her little pratfall thing at the at the end, fainting spell as Wendy Williams. That was That was never a part of 
the picking of the winner by the celebrity. It was only insofar as RuPaul judging the show. Does that make sense? Yeah, but couldn't she have won the whole thing, even if, like, was it yeah. was it the celebrity? I don't know. Yeah, yeah she could have won the whole thing. Yeah. Ru, oh my God, laughing so freaking hard. Like, Ru called over a medic for Wendy as a joke. I thought it might have been for Ru for a brief second. I was like, Ru can't breathe. Ru is laughing so hard. So, and, I don't know. And, and she was one of the only people to, like, also throw a bit of shade at Ru Paul as well by asking, how's LL Cool J? Yeah, I had to look that up. I did not know what that was in reference to, but I was like, I'm sort of reading between the lines because I've heard a few things about LL Cool J and his supposed homophobia. And so I was like, what, like, what happened with that? And so I looked it up. For those of you who don't know, RuPaul did a guest stint on In the House, which was LL Cool J's sitcom back in 2010. And uh, it did not go well. <laughs> and uh, RuPaul played like his friend. She was not in drag, of course. And she was just, you know, as RuPaul Charles. And sh- and uh, RuPaul came in there acting like his best friend who like does drag on the side. And she said he was rude and disrespectful and said a few things that were considered hateful or homophobic. She didn't want to repeat them. And she said that, that was the time in her life where she saw herself as acting the most scared. And she thanked LL Cool J because she was like, I basically got to see myself acting scared and and I saw I, I said to myself that I'm never going to act like that again because she's like I wish in hindsight I'd have told him come here and hit me boy because at one point he threatened to to uh to bash her or something and she's uh, she's like if I if that had happened to me now I'd be like go ahead take your best shot honey like swing at me and I will take everything you own she's like I wish I had said that by the way this was in a podcast with Wendy Williams by the way that RuPaul mm. addressed this so I love the uh uh, you know, the full circle-ness of it all about uh, how it came to come out in the Snatch game here. But see, that, wait, 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 that's the type of research. That's the type of research that is fantastic. Not that I read the Wikipedia page. Right. Like, yeah. good on Naomi. Yeah, yeah. And I, but I will say uh, that I, I, yeah, I too am a bit disappointed by the, uh, by the boots the house down. Again, I think it's a fun execution. I agree with you, Liana. Maybe it's because we were so used to Mayhem Miller's excellent Krampus look from the Holoslay Spectacular, but I was oh. expecting something. Oh, that's what I thought. Oh, yes, yeah, so something like furry and animalistic. <laughs> but the weird thing is, for a girl that's known for legs, legs, and legs, I'm surprised that she did not have like thigh high boots. You would assume that she has those like rotating in her wardrobe every fourth appearance she makes. Mm. Yeah, I, this yeah. this just wasn't. So, and, and and the worst part about it was not only did she not wear boots, but everything else looked a little cheap to me. It looked it made it. It, it I understand now, and we'll get to this with Monique when people say crafty queen. And, they, and some people take offense to that because I think we did a podcast like a year ago where somebody said crafty queen and they were like, they took major offense to that. And I was like, why, why are you taking offense to that? Now I get it because I'm calling her a crafty queen and it is not a compliment. <laughs> well, let's move forward here to another one who really had a big positive moment this episode. Trinity wins the battle with Gia Gunn in the workroom to play Caitlyn Jenner. And it goes over, to put it slightly swimmingly, uh, you know, constantly making Rue and Gus doubled over in laughter, and she has this boots the house down look to add some fringe onto this fabric that she's already sewn with her performance. Brent, do you agree this was a top two performance? Yeah, mainly because everyone else failed. I mean, I, this was really, really, uh, this was a great, fun, serviceable performance. Mike, I do agree with you that I disagree with Russ, Ross Matthews. Mm-hmm. I do not think this was my favorite uh, snatch game performance or one of my favorite snatch game performances in history. I think it's, I'm not even sure it's in the top 10. Uh, it, it's, uh, this is another, this is okay. I, I, I am here for 
people picking people who are in their general vicinity because you want to sound like them. However, it did seem to me like this was just an over-exaggerated version of Trinity because Trinity is from Alabama and she talks like this. You can hear her accent in real life. And I feel like she just sort of over-exaggerated that. I'll give her credit. It was great. It was funny. And the thing I'll give her the most credit for, and this is why I think Ross really was giving it up for Trinity here, was the ad-libs. Things that you Mm. cannot prepare for that really require good improv like I, when we when we came into All Stars, Trinity reminded us how she was a pageant queen before, and how comedy was a big revelation to her that she could do stuff like that. But I'll go even further, and I think that it takes a special kind of comedic person to be able to come up with ad libs. Like I think some people can go up and do a stand up act, and they have the other material preset and everything. But it takes a special kind of performance to be able to play off of other people and make it funny and make it make sense bianca del rio has that uh talent and i really think that trinity is she's not in bianca's uh, zip code but she's close because she's able to hear what other people are saying process it come up with a quip in response and be able to smile and look personable and laugh at herself the entire time to me the runway look is probably one of the best runway looks on the stage, mainly because it sort of, I, it's hard for me to see the bottom, but it fulfills the part of the challenge that I want to see, which is that it's boots. And I know there's a lot of buckles there, but it does seem like it's actual boots. Or if it's not, it's a really good facsimile of boots. And I, that's the thing that I'm the most drawn to in this outfit, is all of the buckles up and down her legs. So I give this toots across the board, not only for the Snatch Game performance, but for the runway as well. Um, hmm. in terms of the boots look, I don't know. It all sort of blends together to me because I just see a lot of black and gold. Um, and I think it's a really cool outfit. But again, I mean, you know, no one really, I think, succeeded that much in terms of boots, the house down challenge. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely the boots stand out, although not that much for me personally. Um, I thought in terms of her snatch game performance, this was kind of an example of Yes, there were lines that were Caitlyn Jenner. There were things that fit, you know, who Caitlyn Jenner is as sort of this caricature. But it was also just sort of this, like, old person. Yeah. And, yeah. like, mm-hmm. I was getting old person realness. So, yeah, Trinity in, you know, however many years, this is what she's going to be like. Um, and I thought that she was able to succeed at that. Um, was it Caitlyn Jenner? No, not necessarily all the time. But I don't think it has to be to make Rue laugh. I, Liana, I don't think you remember that she yelled Democrats over and over again. <laughs> Oh, Democrats. I'm broke. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that this was, was this Caitlyn Jenner? No. Was this a fun Snatch Game performance? Yes. And that's sort of weird to say, but I think Mm -hmm. to your point, Brent, I think that basically where she succeeded was just the the moments of that were in between her answers of just talking back to people. I mean, from the very first thing where you talked about the Whitney Houston answer of on a first date, I love it when a guy, you know, blanks and she gives her album title and she says, Oh, did you buy it? And Caitlin jumps in and says, he probably wasn't even born, uh, which again, yeah. just sort of you like can't... changes, changes the game there in terms of like, yeah, it's a free for all. You throw yourself in there, whatever you want to, as long as the line's good. Yeah. That's just, I mean, that sets her apart so much from the other Queens who just clam up and get nervous when they're in front of people and they don't have a song to lip sync to that really sets Trinity apart, makes her look, so smart. I mean, I think at this point, she is the odds-on favorite to win. I really, I, I think Trinity is so far above everybody else at this point in terms of impressing RuPaul. I, 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 it's going to be very hard for somebody else to take that crown away from her.
And I know that uh, I know that physicality wasn't necessarily a part of it, considering that again, Gus didn't really see the Bachelorette. But I think that her whatever you know physicality she cooked up for Caitlyn Jenner with the, the you know the man spreading, for lack of a better term, and the gold medal around her neck, like I think she played up that persona and she was in character the entire time. Uh, I, I will say a bit of a missed opportunity. I don't know if this got axed, but I mean, when you're asked. Imagine you're a car, sell yourself to me, and you're Caitlyn Jenner, who has a bit of a history when it comes to running people over in your car. I'm a little sad and that wasn't mentioned. <laughs> well, that, that, that actually, it's funny because, you know, it's like with Wendy Williams. I forgot that Caitlyn Jenner did that. <laughs> so. I, I, I only really remember because of South Park yeah. when Caitlyn Jenner oh, is uh, yes. Mr. Garrison's vice president. The buckle up, buckaroos, and she always, like, runs somebody over. Uh, okay. and, I, and, you know, Caitlin, for what it's worth, Trinity was also just able to come up with some sort of, like, mimetic catchphrase that was going to get stuck in everyone's heads with Malibu, baby! And the fact that she kept repeating it, it was sort of like a, a tagline almost for her Caitlyn Jenner impression that people were going to remember after the fact. So <laughs> I, it, it was a really smart choice. I'm glad that she stuck to her guns and chose to stick with Caitlyn Jenner because it showed that, you know, she worked hard on it uh, going into this and she was able to work off the cuff and really produce a, a fantastic performance overall. Well, and I think what I really appreciate about Trinity, especially with this performance, is that, you know, we talk about, oh, this is a branding opportunity. Yeah, sure. The $100,000 is all about getting gigs, though. After as well, she is somebody who can really brand herself well. Like, I guarantee you she will have T-shirts with, you know, like Malibu, whatever, on it, you know, afterwards, just because I feel like she is so intelligent when she thinks all of these things through, not just the characters, but also the branding itself. Like, I would not be surprised if that was sort of part of her whole plan. Let's move over to the other side of the spectrum here in terms of performance this week. And it seems like, from the temperature we're taking here, Miss Valentina as Eartha Kitt, I I think the three of us are in agreement that we don't know if this was necessarily bottom two worthy. Liana, what do you think about Valentina's uh, look here as Eartha Kitt during the Snatch Game and her Boots the House Down look? Okay, I thought her look uh, in the uh, actual Snatch Game, I thought it was great. And, uh, okay, I did kind of like it. And I'm trying to parse out, okay, how was I supposed to feel? Because this is the way the music was making me feel versus, you know, how how I actually felt. Um, I do think that there were some that she definitely didn't answer some of the questions. It felt a little out of place. So I get where that criticism is coming from. Also with the whole, it did feel like she read the Wikipedia article and then sort of was spitting it back out. But I love that she opened with the emperor's new groove reference and i don't yes. know if that's because well listen rupaul's uh, yeah. uh rupaul's not necessarily known for her references you know even in her own generation let alone let alone a reference to specific millennials yeah there's a generation or five gap between them so you know like that's where it didn't land uh, but i thought that that part was fun and i thought you know monet maybe did worse and so yeah i mean i didn't quite understand why she was in the bottom two what about the uh the boots the house down oh look? go ahead yeah talk about the runway Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Well, I, I love, I, I actually agreed with Michelle here. I loved the concept, but I also couldn't stop staring at her crotch because it was, it was a sagging. And, uh, that was, that was not, I was not here for that. Love the idea. Did not like the execution. Yeah. It's weird that Valentina played Eartha Kitt in the Snatch game and played Carl Sagan, uh, on the <laughs> runway. <laughs> Double impression. Wait, where are the jokes? Play the Where <laughs> are the jokes? <laughs> 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 yes. I, did you hear? I, I I couldn't remember if we had heard 
the shade sound effect in the past two episodes, but we got it in this episode when Naomi uh, was shading, I think, Latrice or or maybe it was Monique uh, in the in the workroom as everyone else was sort of talking through the deliberation. Yes, yes, uh, we we got those uh, as a present. We we all have our own shade buttons from a dear friend. And I can't remember if we talked about it before, but it's so it's so hard because like there are various times where I say something and I want to press the shade button, but the, but by the time I realize I want to press the shade mm-hmm. button, the moment has already passed because it takes a moment to like grab the button, and, like get it up to the microphone, and then hit the button, and then for the sound to come out. So like unless I'm prepared for it, I'm probably not gonna remember. But like if I can do it a couple times a season, I'll be happy. I think the thing I'm getting more mileage out of is where are the jokes? <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna get it next week. Apparently, it's the return of where are the jokes from trinity that's where i took it from was the preview for next week oh my god yes okay look valentina here's the thing you guys i was watching this with three friends the first time around okay somebody who uh uh, doesn't really care for drag at all my partner and a girlfriend of mine we all howled at valentina we were laughing our butt off at valentina it was only because the music was giving us the uh, like sound effect that i knew that the show apparently didn't like Valentina, but Valentina to me was so Alyssa Edwards in that she was so committed to the performance. And yeah, there were moments where it didn't make sense, but even those moments were funny to me because she was so committed and she believed in her performance and she was doing it all the way up until the end. Even the moment where Gus picked one of the winners and she literally got up out of her chair and turned around and gave us a pose. And then she, when she came over to me, Gus, she started saying like, Oh, darling, you know? And then of course, Caitlin with the, uh, you know, hurry up, sweetie, you lost. Like, which again, sets Trinity apart from everybody, for everybody else. I thought Valentina was safe or top three. I thought she was really, really funny. I really did. I understood there were points in time where Rue was like, I didn't, that didn't really make sense to me. But she had a fully realized performance. She had a voice inflection that was consistent and obviously researched. She paid attention to how Eartha Kitt moves and sounds. And the runway outfit, to me, I'm sorry, I'll disagree with Liana on this one. I wasn't looking at the crotch. I never noticed it until Michelle said something about it. And beyond that, I went back and rewatched it a second time because I knew Michelle was going to talk about it. And I looked at where the crotch was at the beginning and where it was at the end. It's in the same damn place. It didn't move at all. Now, it may have been sagging a little bit at the beginning, but I sure didn't notice it. It was just something I think that maybe there was a little bit of an illusion there because the uh, crotchness of it all is sort of sewn into the boots area. And so when she's walking, maybe it pulls down that fabric and there's a pulling sensation. So maybe that's giving the illusion of it sagging a little bit more or moving down as she's walking. But God, she was freaking gorgeous on the runway. I mean, come on. That is, that is, I mean, like, seriously, I I think I turned straight for a second when I saw her on the runway. She's so freaking hot. It's, I, how do you look like this? Then she's, oh, but by the way, did you see her at the end when she's, when uh, Manila wins the lip sync and Manila is getting ready to name the winner? Valentina is posed the house down, honey. She is, if it's going to be her moment, she is ready to go, man. I am, I was living for it. So yeah, I, I didn't understand. I thought the judging was so off on this one. This is something that Michelle grabs onto and like uses as a cudgel to basically 
indict the entire runway when to me there was nothing there was no there there because I went back and watched and and to me the crotch didn't move at all you can make an argument that that it was sagging in the beginning which Liana obviously is and I, I don't think it is but that's that's an argument that can be made but what Michelle was saying was totally made up out of thin air okay the issue was not when she was posed that was fine it looked like it fit her well it was when she was walking obviously you and i have different priorities i walk into the club crotch first that's all i'm staring (laughs) at and it was like move it was no it i no i did i i found it very distracting i don't know what that says about me as a person but i can understand the criticism although you know i i i think based on her snatch game i think she did not deserve to be in the bottom so i will leave it at that Liana giving new meaning to purse first. Now I won't look at it the same way again. <laughs> so, yeah, so the boots that boots the house down look, I personally did not notice the crotch, though I will say I'm what? probably not the type to stare <laughs> at crotches uh, on drag queens initially. Uh, but I, I really love this concept. Again, if you're highlighting the boots, make the whole outfit a boot. And it sounds really stupid. But I think this was a really fun idea, and I thought her hair was gorgeous. But once Michelle sort of pointed that out, I could see, I guess, you know, how they took that as, you know, something that, especially compared to the the artistry or the creativity they found in Monet's piece, how that would sort of maybe edge, you know, her and Latrice up and then edge Valentina down into the bottom, which I agree, I thought was undeserved. I think that the Eartha Kit performance was just so much fun. And it looked... I'll say it. I don't care if this is a hot take. I'd rather have Valentina Eartha Kit than Chi Chi Devane Eartha Kit any day of the week. Considering oh, that, any day of the week. Considering yeah. that Chi Chi's was fun, but the entire concept was just she's turning into a cat. And remember when Eartha <laughs> Kit played Catwoman? Like, I, I think that Valentina had a more realized character to the point where she was just streaming out these biographical facts. I think that she did not start things off on a good note when her initial question was her was her pulling a cynthia lee fontaine and just rambling about dancing with katherine dunham and not really ending on a fun note and in fact ending on a note where caitlin, caitlin jenner completely one-ups her and throws out a barb in response to it it just was not fantastic uh, i think unfortunately maybe she realized she was playing to the wrong audience with the pull the lever thing considering that that just really started things off on a bad note with her introduction but i her between her physicality her the kit like voice and intensity mm-hmm. uh again it, it was not that far of a stone's throw from the way valentina typically acts on this show but i think that maybe my favorite thing that she did which again maybe speaks to the quickness that we didn't see in some of these other responses was imagine you're a car sell yourself to me and she just goes you can't sell something you've already bought <laughs> and bruce like i think that's existential if she'd ended on that that would have been great but then she started talking about like learn from me i'm a real star i have a star on the hollywood walk of fame which again you're just giving the other queens rope to pull you off your feet which caitlin jenner was able to do uh so i think that the thing about this was i think valentina was eager to provide this fully realized eartha kid impression i think that maybe she gave too much away that sort of uh, led to diminishing returns, where I think I was really taken by her voice and general mannerisms, but when she kept talking, it sort of lost it for me. But I will agree with you both, not a bottom two performance in my book. 
Yeah, though also I think she mistimed her big joke about uh, pull the lever because I think she 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 used that basically as her opening line and without the snatchler out there. And I don't think that that was the right thing to do. I think there was going to be a point in time where the snatchler asked a sexual question like, you know, you're a car, sell yourself to me, you know, and and you you could say something about a lever. I'm sure there's a way you could work that in to some question. But for her to use it as the opening without anybody there to react besides the host, I think was probably a bad call. She would have been better counseled to wait until the guy was out there. Okay, wait, before wait, 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 before we move on, I just want to go back to, uh, Mike, something that you said about being a whole boot. Okay, the theme was boots the house down. You could have been the little old lady that lived in the shoe in a boot, and then it's boot the house. So... <laughs> <laughs> I think that would have been great trying to have a queen explain themselves like, to the judges. <laughs> I'm the little old lady that lived in the shoe. And you could be like peeking out of your little boot. I can see like Kim Chi doing something with this. And it would be very creative and it would win. You're welcome. The world. Mike, do you remember on uh, Once Upon a Time, there literally was a woman who lived in the shoe? Do you remember yes. that? Second it, podcast? It, yes. in, the, in the pumpkin patch, right? I think it was. Yeah, or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, oh, well, I, I'm surprised because our next queen, Monique, is so fond of reveals. I would not have been surprised if she walked out in a big boot a la Jasmine Masters and like unzipped herself and stepped out of it. But let's segue into our back half queens here with Keenan Lonsdale. I will say I probably enjoyed the Gus version better than the Keenan one. I feel like these four, even though I think Manila was a standout from this group, a bit of a weaker group comparably. Um, and we'll start here with Monique. Monique, someone else who had something to prove with the Snatch Game, considering that her take on Maxine Waters, uh, she did not reclaim any time. She went home <laughs> in that episode. She was looking to prove herself. She plays Tiffany Haddish, which is always an interesting risk when you are playing a com- when you're trying to do a comedic impression of a comedian. Uh, between this and her literary Riding Hood boots the house down look, it ends her ends up with her being in the middle after a dalliance with the bottom two last week. Liana, what'd you think about Monique this week? Well, I thought it was fun, but I also can't help but think in the context of that group, because Mike, I do agree with you. I thought that this group of four was probably weaker um, than the first group. Um, so, you know, I thought she was fun. Were her, you know, jokes ha 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 worthy? No, but, you know, I snickered once or twice uh, with her Snatch Game performance. Um, the Boots the House down look, uh, yes, did look a little on the cheap side, but of all the concepts, this one was by far my favorite. Um, I just love that there was a story to it. It was Little Red Riding Hood, who apparently had two grandmas and then made them into boots. Why did the shorts have stars on them like she was supposed to be the American flag? I don't know, but I really love the idea. I mean, like, I, first of all, let me just get the bad out of the way first. This is the probably one of the worst runways I've ever seen. This is Ooh. terrible. This is this is god awful. This looks so cheap and crafty. I don't understand how she thinks this looks good. The Red Riding Hood part of it to me looks like a red sheet that she got at the Joanne Fabric Store. It there's, I mean, I can see a lining on it because in this picture she's holding it up, and you can see there's a lining underneath the hood. But outside of that, I can't see anything that's been done to it it just looks like a giant red sheet of fabric and then the jeans are i why are they there why is red riding hood wearing dixie like uh shorts daisy dukes, uh, daisy dukes thank you um i don't understand why she's wearing those the boots to me look so cheap 
Like everything about this. Just, look, I'm all for the queens who have no money uh, doing things that are fun and crafty and making them look fabulous. But this doesn't look fabulous to me. This looks cheap. Everything about the, the fabric choice from the jeans to the hood to the boots looks cheap. Come for me. Okay, so that's the bad. The good, the snatch game is what saved her. This, I think, was really, really a great choice for her. It allowed her to be, yes, very Monique. Was there a big accent there? No, but it was a committed performance. There was never a moment in time where I felt like Monique was sort of fading out of the game and then coming back into it. I felt like she was there the entire time. I felt like she was engaged. And she definitely had some good Tiffany Haddish. Uh, as I, I watched another reviewer, uh, Jimmy Pink, uh, on YouTube, who recaps RuPaul's Drag Race, and I wasn't really aware that Tiffany Haddish was a comedian and in the business long before the last two years, where she really blew up mm-hmm. into the national mm-hmm. scene. And there's so many parts of this performance, like from her superpower and how she acted a little crazy with the purse, and then at the end where she's like, "Don't touch my purse," and uh, we're we're definitely Tiffany Haddish isms. And so I'm going to give it up to Monet, or sorry, Monique. On I always do that with the, these two, uh, with Monique on this one because. She, to me, was committed, and it was a realized performance. I don't know that she definitely had a uh, Tiffany voice, but I don't know that she needed one because I felt like the real Monique was probably close enough to Tiffany where she was able to get away with that, sort of like uh, Trinity was with uh, Caitlyn Jenner. So I'm going to give this uh, a toot for the Snatch Game, and again, that's what saved her because the runway, to me, was god-awful. Again, I, I take your point, Liana, that it would like in concept... I think it's probably the best of the eight because I do focus on the boot, but the outfit looks so terrible that I can't give it any credit. Mm, Yeah, that's fair. I like how you avoid saying you're going to give the runway looks the boot because they are wearing Uh. boots. So it's just confusing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Although, yeah, there was a little bit. Remember Cynthia Lee Fontaine's look from season eight, the roller girl one Mm. that was like just these like little Sophie shorts and like a crop top. That was worse, but this is like shades of that. <laughs> yeah, a nice red shade of that. Yeah. Uh, speaking towards the Snatch Game, I think there was a lot of fun energy behind this. I didn't get a lot of like laugh out loud moments mm-hmm. from her. But if you're talking about, again, considering that around here was a lot of chaos going on, if you're looking for someone who just had like a solid performance and someone who had a good energy about her, I mean, the whole tangent that she went on about, you know, uh, my superpowers I can feel when my man's cheating on me and then she does this whole routine about like looking in and taking her hammer and banging on the window that was probably her best part and I will say if, again if we're talking about attention and detail and good research all the power to Monique I love that she wore this white dress for those of you that don't know Tiffany Haddish talked about this when she hosted SNL last year that she's basically like I paid a hell of a lot of money for this white dress so I'm gonna wear the hell out of it and if you look at like all these subsequent award shows that Tiffany Haddish went to after the, I think it was the girls' trip premiere, which is her big breakout performance, she's wearing this white dress, which is <laughs> unheard of in the Hollywood scene that you would repeat outfits between events, but she made the best use of the price tag on it. So I'm glad that Monique, uh, you know, even though it was a visual component that didn't necessarily play to someone like Keenan Lonsdale, I'm glad that she paid attention to detail to, to bring that element in as well, because that is like quintessential Tiffany Haddish to me. Yeah, there was never a moment in time during this performance that I felt nervous about Monique. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's sometimes where you listen to a, a performer in the Snatch Game and they get the the shade or the uh, the shade button music, and you're like, oh, I, I should worry for them. I, she never got that music, and she never dropped any lines. Like, there was never a moment in time where RuPaul asked her a question or The Bachelor asked her a question, and she had to sit there and think. 
and think about something and then come up with an answer. She had an answer ready to go. She was like, she was comfortable in her own skin. And that then by extension made me comfortable watching her. And that's why I think this succeeded. All right, let's move on to someone who succeeded very well. Manila came in saying, I know I need to do well. I put myself in the bottom there. She told, she promised Michelle that she would bring it and brought it. She did between her snatch game as Barbara Streisand. Uh, I will not lie to you guys. I think if anyone wants a visual image as to what I would look like in drag, I think we pretty much found it in Barbara Streisand. No prosthetics <laughs> necessary. And her Boots the House down look had the judges hopping in a good way with her bunny-inspired S&M look that puts her in the top two and ultimately a win in the lip sync for your legacy. Brent, talk to me about your, your thoughts on all things Manila this week. Yeah, talk about somebody who was committed to their performance. This was so great to see. I was so happy for Manila, and I do agree with Michelle. It was a character of a caricature of a caricature. It was what everybody thinks that Barbara Streisand acts like when they're making fun of Barbara Streisand. And yet, you never, ever heard her break character. You never saw her break character. And she also had uh, very much a Trinity aspect of it where she was able to play off of other queens. Like when Monet said that note was flat, she's like, the pleasure is all yours. You know? <laughs> it didn't even make sense and it made me laugh. And then the thing that she, uh, a little later on when she got, like, the part where she really won me over, and this is not anything to do with Snatch Game, where it was when Gia was saying something about, this is when Monique was doing her thing about the superpower, and Gia started to say something like, why is she talking so fast? And then Manila was like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah i i, I thought this was very so funny good. is this not a rule of thumb that like on snatch game if you say shut up that made your guaranteed a win basically i mean like <laughs> look up. she did that and yet she was able to stay in character the entire time aside from that i i really felt for her being on a panel with gia and yet she was able to be really funny and she was like she said things that were expected but yet the way she delivered them with the voice and the singing was just something that not everybody can do like the thing about I'd like to think the Academy and like it just, you know, makes you laugh, makes you smile and everything about this performance. I thought, you know, if you can commit to a performance and give it your all, I'm probably going to buy that. And to me, that's why somebody like Monique and Valentina succeeded more in my eyes than somebody like Monet or even Latrice who will get to because I feel like they went in and out, and that's what I hate more than anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, she was definitely 100% committed to her character. <laughs> I couldn't tell if the shut up to Gia was in or out, but either way, <laughs> I thought it worked because it was just like, Gia, just like, shut the fuck up. Like, shut yeah. up, Gia. Um, <clears throat> honestly, when they first panned the camera over to her, I was like, I'm sorry, who? Not who, Barbara, but like, what drag queen <laughs> is, is this? Yeah. Who is this right? person who has shown up on my television screen? I did not realize there was going to be a brand new queen coming in this episode because, you know, we didn't get to see anything in the workroom of the, oh, I'm going to be Barbara Streisand, blah, blah, blah. Like, I have this really fake prosthetic nose that I'm going to wear. Uh, and so that was like, first of all, just a complete shock, but in a great way. And then her with her like little stuffed dogs and the microphone. I mean, she brought the props, but it wasn't too much. And it, it was really just enjoyable and so much fun.
Um, in terms of her runway look. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about that. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, again, like I wasn't crazy about this whole runway look in the execution, but I thought that this was sort of a, a different take on it in terms of the S&M bunny with the ball gag carrot, <laughs> which was just a neat little um additive but yeah i don't know the fact that she hopped all the way down the runway like that is amazing twice to me. in those twice. shoes yes in, in those, those shoes, shoes. Because, oh like, my god that one yeah run- <laughs> yeah like that was impressive enough <laughs> like i don't care what you're wearing amazing <laughs> yeah this will talk about committed i couldn't believe that she did that the entire way i mean like come on that's ridiculous to be able and to not fall and know you're gonna have to hop the entire way I think that's crazy. Uh, I was loving RuPaul at the end. She's like, her safe word is beta carotene. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brent, even if, even if she fell, if you fail, then so what? Get back up. A wise person once told me that. <laughs> this, this, was, uh, this was a lot of fun. I'll admit, if we're comparing the two Snatch Game winners, I honestly might prep Trinity's performance. Because I think if you're talking about like the one-liners, I think Trinity had the stronger ones. Whereas I think that Barbara's you know, uh, the pleasure was all yours, as you mentioned before, Brent. And, like, I can tell you right now she's going to be on the bottom bunk. Uh, yeah. those, those were less sassy and a little more chintzy and, like, the immense talent. I like a talent that's really big. Um, but I think by far my favorite thing was, you know, the uh, if we visit my parents and, you know, we have a bunk bed, are you sleeping on the top or the bottom? And she just goes, fuck it, I'll pay for a hotel. I think that was, yeah. like, my favorite <laughs> moment, aside from her just being... An absolutely bananas character. I think there's a, there's a screenshot on Reddit of just all the Muppet-like faces mm-hmm. that Manila is making as Barbara Streisand. For nobody in particular, because again, Keenan Lonsdale cannot look at her. But she is just fully realized in the insanity of this Barbara Streisand. And I think it absolutely boons her in my book. And I think that you can see that firsthand in the runway as well. Is that Manila is somebody who will come up with a cuckoo idea and completely commit to it 100% that it becomes endearing, which is why, again, last week was such a fluke, where for some reason she didn't commit to her kitty girl character or her uh, her Henny character whatsoever and suffered because of it. Here, she completely, you know, overcorrects or uh, is able to, to swing herself in the complete opposite direction, and I think that's what lands her in the top two here. All right, well, let's move on to maybe not so much a fun subject. Gia, if you need to wear a name tag that has your character's name on it, we might not know who the character is at first, and that's not necessarily a good sign. There's some people that have been able to, you know, turn okay performances from characters that I might not necessarily be familiar with, but, oh, I mean, it's, I, I don't, I don't know if I want to give it this title, especially considering that we had, you know, Asia and the Vixen as the real bad one-two punch from last Snatch Game, but Brent, could this be one of the worst Snatch Game performances of all time? I really think it was. Uh, it was pretty terrible, and because it was so cringeworthy, and it wasn't just cringeworthy for the audience, where they were putting in the like the uh, shade sound effects to let the audience know that they were doing really bad. I could feel that the other panelists and RuPaul and Keenan were uncomfortable being there and in the same scene with Gia Gunn as Jenny. I mean, this to me was very close. To like, this is where drag queens can get away with stuff because I think if anybody else does a caricature of Jenny like this, they're going to be called out as being racist or offensive. But because she's a drag queen, she's probably able to get away with it. Uh, I will say that Jenny 
uh, did have something to say on Instagram. Mm-hmm. She said, uh, uh, I'm honored to be featured on last night's episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. Unfortunately, that's not my accent. And the only thing off the boat is the, quote, fresh tilapia that they that you are allegedly serving at Gia Gun. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I can say that Jenny wasn't a fan. And I wasn't a fan either. The thing to me that really sent it off the rails was the part where she started talking about how I, I don't think Latrice is a, a real woman. Like, uh, she's a man, and she has, uh, you know, a big, uh, you know... And I'm like, are, are you even hearing yourself right now? Like, if somebody said that about you, they would be, like, strung up and hanged. Like, what are you saying? Um, I, Again, I go back to a girl I listened to on RuPaul's, uh, the recaps, uh, Jimmy Pink, who said that she was talking about the fact that, and I've heard this as well, some trans women who sort of leave the gay community behind and are almost homophobic in a weird sort of way, like they were never part of that community. And I was getting those sort of vibes from G. And I know you guys are not part of the LGBT community, so you, you know, maybe you can't speak to that or maybe you don't want to speak to that. But that's how I felt. I felt like she was attacking Latrice in a mean-spirited way that if said to her, she would have taken great offense to. So I didn't understand where she was coming from. How, how in the world, this is where like people like Trinity and Manila are set so f- apart from everybody else because I do think that if somebody like them would have done a performance like this and gotten the, the initial feedback from the audience that she would have been able to change midstream and go, you know what, this isn't working. I need to try something else. Uh, my, me interrupting and interjecting is obviously making people uncomfortable. So let's not do that anymore. Uh, but she couldn't stop herself. And worse than that, it wasn't even funny when she did interrupt people. Uh, so I, I, I don't know if it's the worst, but it's in the conversation and that's not good. The runway look, I've already shaded it up, uh, up and down the street. Uh, the, the thing I, I can't get over is the fact that she was comparing it to the Rihanna cover of some, that was a Vogue or, or Chanel. I can't remember what. But uh, it was not Rihanna. Uh, I can't believe she said it was Rihanna. Uh, again, she's coming out there on a runway with no shading, no titties, no padding. Uh, she probably looks the most masculine of the eight people on the runway. And I don't understand why she's making that choice. Because, she, that, because I'm sorry, you guys, it is a choice. She made that choice to have that sort of a boxy look on the runway, which only accentuates your shoulders and downplays your hips. I don't understand why she would chose to be like this unless she just didn't care anymore. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, I hated everything about it. Well, I loved the boots. They reminded me of peacocks. I would have loved some mm. little peacock feathers on the side. I would wear these boots. Now, does that make it, you know, gag worthy on RuPaul's Drag Race? Probably not considering I would wear it. But no, they were fabulous. Um, <laughs> the, the diaper uh, I was not crazy about. Um, very Linda Evangelista. You look like yeah. A model. What was that? I don't know. Why oh my god. Um, the coat was fun. I love the earrings. Um, but in terms of her snatch game performance, because that's really all I can think about right now, it was cringeworthy from so many different ways. Like it was amazing how cringeworthy it was. Because yeah, Brent, to your point, not only do you have her saying like some relatively, I mean, pretty offensive things to Latrice, but then also you have her explaining jokes. 
What is funnier than having someone explain <laughs> the subtlety of innuendos? Mike, I'm sure you can speak to this. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 not only also explaining jokes. It's also playing dumb is a really, really hard thing to do comedically and do it well, especially when you're playing a character. And for some reason, I think Gia thought that's the characterization she was going to take on is like, oh, you know, Jenny is, as Gia puts it, so bad to say fresh off the boat and so maybe she's not so accustomed to the ways of the lgbtq community and so she'll that's why she interrupts because like oh wait a minute do you mean like a top person or a bottom person which is a bit to your point liana part explaining the jokes and part also saying i don't get the joke which <laughs> is a weird conundrum and it's it's like a double it's not a double negative it's like a double negative that works quintuply negative and that it just stacks on top of each other I, I don't even know. I mean, this was this is Kenya Michael's level of bad, I think, for me. It was just so uncomfortable to watch. And, you know, I can watch a bad performance and go, oh, yeah, okay, that wasn't that great. I mean, you know, in comparison, Monet's was the most amazing Snatch Game performance I've ever seen, just <laughs> simply because of how uncomfortable it made me. My God. Yeah, I mean, and, and you'd have to wonder, like, maybe there was some editing in that, because it just seemed like, again, if we're comparing, like, the airtime or the number of words said, Jenny might get the most just because Gia and I can understand maybe Gia is like she knows she's going down she's flailing she's trying to grab onto whatever might possibly keep her from from you know sinking underneath and for some reason that was in her opinion to just do more of the same and I think she admits this later on of like she was just trying to get everything out there she knew she was sinking but this was not a good tactic to use you said Brent I think a pivot could have helped I mean, Gia's going to admit this. I just don't think this is her challenge. This is, mm-hmm. I think she's maybe the second queen, the only queen ever to get eliminated on Snatch Game twice. It's, this is just not her sport whatsoever. Uh, and I, I think that the impression she did, again, if we're talking about like very thin needles to thread, that's a really tough one. You even had someone like Manella, who won a challenge back in season three for playing a very exaggerated Asian stereotype and got, even though she won, got some controversy from it. So it's a really hard way to do it well, uh, let alone do it poorly. So I understand the consternation that Jenny herself brought for essentially this big caricature of a caricature that did not work well. This was just, ooh, this was a hot mess. And I I do, you know, I do think that maybe some of the other queens uh, could have handled it in a bit of a different way, but I was also not there sitting next to her while being consistently interrupted when you were trying to set yourself up to do well, and she was just shooting you down at every opportunity. True. All right, well, let's move on here to our final queen, Latrice Royale, Miss Della Reese, the late Della Reese of Touch by an Angel fame. And uh, she was hopeful that it was not Romp Room Fuckery 2.0. I think we moved into the living room now in terms of the fuckery because she once again ends up sort of getting at her wit's end by the workings of Gia. And she has her boots down, boots the house down, hopeful that her jewelry will bring her up to the top. It does not. Latrice ends up in the bottom three here. Brent, was this warranted for you? Yeah, it was warranted. I'm sorry, but uh, I, I take the panel's point on this, which is that, you know, you, Latrice has done shows up and down the United States, all around the world. You've got people who are drunk. You've got people catcalling at you. And somehow you aren't able to handle Latrice. I'm sorry, Latrice. You, you aren't. You aren't. You are, she's not able to handle Latrice. She's not able to handle, handle Gia Gunn. Like, you can't handle that. And this is not the first time this has happened. On her previous stint, 
on Snatch Game. She got so irritated with what was happening on the panel, she basically just shut down as Aretha Franklin. And we weren't podcasting back in that day, but that's what she did to the point where I thought it was a really terrible performance and she gave up. So, yeah, I'm sorry it's a little bit of a pattern for me. Like, I'm sorry, Latrice, when things don't go exactly how you want them to, then you're going to just throw in the towel, which is kind of, I felt like, what she did. She just, like, had it up to here with Gia Gunn and basically was, like, I think she was asking the producers, like, why are we here? Can somebody come get this little girl? Like, I think she was so over it by that point. But there is a level of professionalism that's required in this instance, and I think she would have, would first of all, RuPaul wouldn't have been out of bounds to put Latrice in the bottom two. I never, I never think she would have been eliminated here, but I do think she probably deserved it. Um, if Monet didn't anyway, because she never fulfilled the challenge. I think she had one funny line aside from the opening about, well, are those is that bed reinforced with lug nuts? Yeah, but I, I never I got love that line. Yeah, but I never got Della Reese from it. And I, there was never Ella, there was never any reference to Touched by an Angel or anything that Della Reese has done. Um, I, I didn't, I just, I just didn't get Della Reese from this. I got Latrice acting as some woman. You know, well, I mean, but I mean I like, how, well, how many lines did she really have as De La Reese? Like, I feel like that was the situation where she never was. I never really got a sense of her character because she was so thrown off by Gia. And I don't know if this is a situation where there's so many bad memories that are being brought up because of her past experience. But I think looking at the difference between Manila and Latrice and how Manila was able to handle Gia and how Latrice handled Gia. I'm not saying that Latrice's frustrations weren't warranted because I would have probably slapped Gia if I had been there. But when you're talking about professionalism and really being able to perform and you know that this is the challenge, you are going to have to deal with somebody who is potentially, you know, going to be wild and out there and super extra. And she just wasn't able to keep it together and really be her character and just power through it. I know it's hard and it's understandable, but yeah, it was a little disappointing for me. It's, it seemed a little whiny to me, if I'm being honest, I'm sorry. I, maybe that isn't a popular take for Latrice here, but that based on what's happened before with her, when she like got on her big high horse about the romper room fuckery that happened in season four. And now she's complaining about it again. Like, so I guess just bad things happen to you during Snatch Game, Latrice. And like, I guess no one before you has ever had to deal with any fuckery that's happened during Snatch Game. Like, I, I was kind of not here for it. And I guess she didn't really help herself with the runway either because I swear to God, I've seen her wear this in a concert before. And that hairline was non-existent. I don't know how she didn't get called out for that. Like, uh, she was talking about, well, I'm going to come out on the runway with my shing-a-ling-a-ling-a, shing-a-ling-a-ling. But to me, it was just <laughs> the entire time. I I didn't understand how I didn't understand how this outfit didn't get more cat calls from the panel than it did. Mm-hmm. Can we compare Latrice in the Snatch Game to Trixie in The Bitchler in terms of someone who was in a scene, a veritable scene with somebody and completely getting their performance diminished because of the antics of the other person who was opposite them? Dude, is there a comparison warranted there in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fair comparison. I think, again, I just have to look at the difference between Manila and Latrice because, you know, Trixie was it was just Trixie and Milk. And that was it. And, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe it's splitting hairs, but I kind of feel like if you're going to embody your character, uh, just just do it. Just power through it. 
Um, because I mean, didn't Trixie get clocked for her performance too, or no? I think that Trixie. I think what we were saying was that the only reason why Trixie would not have a shot to end up in the top that episode, which was like her challenge to win, basically, considering it was just improvisation, was because Milk absolutely tanked their scene and didn't allow her to get a word in edgewise. Do you, so are you guys at all with me that Latrice? I, I felt like she was whining a little bit, like based on what's happened in the past, or or do you think I'm just I'm being a poor sport and calling her out for that? Well, I wonder if it's a thing of like, she's like, I thought I'd get a reprieve, but damn, it happened again. You know, and I, not to say that, you know, as we talked about before, she couldn't have had a better reaction to it or used it to her own betterment. But I do wonder if it's just and a certain amount of frustration and considering that the people that she's used to working with in a more, for lack of a better term, congenial fashion, this was sort of like, you know, her last straw where she was just like, I can't believe this happened again. Uh, even though, again, I, I think that there is some blame that could be shifted her way in terms of like, you know, don't allow yourself to get that thrown off, which is easier said than done. But considering that, again, in her professional life, she's used to unexpected things happening every night. She she could have tried to make a meal out of it. I guess I see it as, you know, when a kid is fearless and they're running around and then all of a sudden they fall down and now they're super hesitant about running in that particular area. I sort of feel like that's Latrice. Um in that, you know, she had a really bad experience and this sort of brings it all up. But yeah, I mean... If you're going to be a professional drag queen, I feel like you, well, I don't know. I've never done it, but there's a part of me that wants to say, just power through it. Like, you you know you got to yep. do it. Stop whining. Yep. Just do it. Yep. I can see both sides. So, luckily, Latrice is able to escape the bottom two here. At the end of the runway, fast forwarding here, Manila and uh, Trinity are the top two. Gia and Valentina are the bottom two. On paper, one would think this is a pretty easy choice. They even talk about this in the workroom before the runway of, like, everyone here pretty much knows that Gia was the worst performer here. She might be the weakest link out of this entire group from a performative perspective. So there's a good chance that if people continue the logic of picking off the weakest players, she would go home. Manila has a bit of a different idea. Brent, can you give me your thoughts on... Manila's sort of line of thinking in this segment and the way it's been portrayed in contrast to, you know, how a foregone conclusion, at least from an editing setup, might not have been so so foregone by the end of it. Well, I think Manila is probably someone who was listening to our podcast in the past of when we were going on about the fact that we hated the All-Stars format and how they were just being too nicey-nicey about everything. And we wanted people to be a little bit more cutthroat. But Having gone through that for so long now, it did seem a little jarring to me that even the possibility of voting off Valentina was up for debate. And worse, the execution of it was so freaking bad. And I have to feel like Manila's chickens are going to come home to roost. This, to me, was so terrible because she basically articulates the idea of voting off Valentina when she knows she should be voting off Gia. She says it to Trinity, she says it to us, and then she says it to Valentina. And then in the same breath, she decides to try to make an alliance with her. And this brought back uh, remembrances of Sur Survivor Kageon. This is exactly what I thought. When you decide that you're maybe going to make a move, you're, and you put it out in the universe that you're going to make a move, and then you pull your hand back and decide not to make the move. Just by virtue of the fact that you put it out there in the universe now, 
People are going to be wise to you, and they are going to be leery of you. This reminded me so much of the final eight in Survivor Kageon when Jeffra had just been blindsided by Tony when he voted off LJ, and she she thought about making a move with the Luzon three and making it a tie at the final eight and basically forcing them to go to rocks or whatever would have happened there. And she doesn't do it. She But she let that idea of voting off Tony or making a move against his alliance get out into the universe and permeate the discussion. And now all of a sudden, even though she didn't make the move, she's looked at as someone that can no longer be trusted anymore. And I have to think that this was such a terrible move by Manila here to voice this to everybody under the sun and talk about voting off Valentina. Like if you're, here's the thing, if you're going to talk about it, you better do it. Like I wish she just would have gone ahead and did it because it would have been a lot more gag worthy then. And I think that she's, she's getting like the bad end of both ends of the stick. Like, like instead of both ends of the dildo, she's getting balls on both ends. There's nothing (laughs) fun, you know, because she's keeping Valentina who is a far better competitor. And now Valentina knows that she was going to vote her off. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I don't understand how this was a positive, please. Somebody convince me that this was a good idea for Manila. Airtime. Okay. <laughs> that, all right. That's honestly, that's the only thing I can think of. But I mean, I love the idea because there's a little bit of the strategist in me that wants to see this type of gameplay. But also, I was ready for Gia to go. So I was also saying, no, don't do that. Do that next week because that's when I feel like the real competition will start. But we can talk about that later. I think what I didn't understand was why Manila was so open about talking about it, Brent. I mean, to your point, she goes yeah. up to Valentina and says, you know, I could send you home. Uh, and <laughs> Oh my God. But when that game of chicken, when Valentina was like, well, I challenge you to beat me at the end. I was there for Valentina in that moment. It was, oh, yeah. it was just very odd the way that Manila went about it. I was like, why are you telling her? <laughs> when- yeah, when the, the Mike, the, the part where um, Valentina said, um, well, I would never ask that of you. Uh, like when I was like, oh, face clocked, honey. Come well, yeah, on. Well, that was Manila, so Manila essentially her. was trying to make a deal by initially saying, hey, I can get rid of you. Uh, I'm thinking about getting rid of you. Hey, you know what? Let's go to the top four together. Wouldn't that be fun? And considering that Valentina is actually entertaining multiple top four offers, as weird as that is to say, with Trinity essentially saying, like, we're going to go to the top four. Uh, it was not exactly the best way to start off a pitch. I know you said that Manila was doing it for airtime. But I think the production was doing it for stakes. I think it's a much more, you know, lackluster lip sync if you don't feel like, oh, my God, if Manila wins this, she'll send Valentina home. Otherwise, it's who's going to be the best lip syncing this song to send Gia home, which was the actuality of it all. But this is at least providing some drama behind it, as fabricated as it may be, so that, you know, there there are actual reasons why we should be rooting for people to lip sync or to win the lip sync, aside from just us liking the person uh but yeah i i admire manila for having this mentality we but i think uh you know she might suffer from the same thing that morgan mcmichaels did last season which is like tell us Mm -hmm. don't tell other people yeah exactly because the minute you tell someone like yeah i want to get rid of big people then they're going to do what ben de la creme did and be like well that pretty much means me so i got to get rid of you before you have that opportunity that being said we'll we'll see you know what comes of that in future weeks? I think, you know, with the loss of Gia, if we're looking for an antagonist, 
we might find one now in Manila, even though she just sort of backed off from eliminating Valentina at the end of the day. I do want to touch briefly just back on the GSF, because this is when, as Brent mentioned before, this is when she sort of uh, has her emotional moment, uh, no, no matter what, how much, however much sincerity you want to sort of ascribe to it, where she talks to Manila about how, you know, she feels very alone. She feels overwhelmed with being a, you know, a trans person on Drag Race. You know, she wishes there's another way where she could sort of show her trans status on the show, which is based on this idea of men being dressed up like women. It brings up a lot of complicated, sordid history about trans involvement in the drag scene. Again, as I said, I've been reading so much. There's this idea of, like, the transgender umbrella, and I read a quote from Ricky Wilchin, which is, you know, transgender was intended as an umbrella term, then a name of inclusion, but umbrellas don't work well when one group holds them up. And this idea of how specifically male-to-female transitioning transgender people are sort of ostracized by some people from the community because some feel like that, like RuPaul established several months ago, some people feel like it's not true drag if you are not, you know, pretending to be another gender. And there's this whole history where, you know, drag started off as, like, the female impersonators, trans people use drag as a way to sort of find their own gender identity. And now it's sort of gone to the point where there's a weird schism going on. There's a lot of complicated history there. And I, you know, encourage anyone out there to read some works from some really fascinating uh, trans people about the history of it all. Uh, I know I've read a couple pieces. Uh, there's a whole big essay by Zinnia Jones. Uh, let me see. There was one that I read from uh, them.us, A Brief History of How Drag Queens Turn Against the Trans Community by Samantha Rydell. Uh, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff out there that I just want to put out there for people to want to check out because I think it's a complicated history that the show while embracing Gia as a transgendered individual, did not necessarily embrace the complicated, sticky history because there's a lot there. But I just wanted to touch upon it because it really is a big subject that pervades the drag community to this day. Well, Um, yeah, it's not just a big subject that pervades the drag community. It's a big subject that's pervading the community that's watching RuPaul's Drag Race. I will tell you guys that I got uh, a, a text message from somebody uh, who is well-known, who I'm going to keep anonymous, who wrote to me and basically asked me if they could ask a question. And I said yes. And so this was their, uh, this is what they wrote to me. They said, so I'm having a hard time personally trying to sort out my feelings about Gia on RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm of the mind that she shouldn't be allowed to compete, while at the same time recognizing that it's also important to have her compete. Because I'm coming at this from essentially the white, straight, male or female perspective, because I don't want to out who this person is, although I'm actually further down that scale than one might think, I can't quite figure out if my context for what I'm feeling here is out of line or not. I respect your views, so I was hoping for a little learning here. And what I told this person was that I think it's important for uh, Gia to compete based on what RuPaul said, because you know we're, we're trying to have a message more of inclusion here. I, I, I think that this person's point about, you know, well, she's transitioning or she's fully transitioned, you know, so maybe, you know, she's not allowed to compete or maybe we don't want her to compete. That sort of thinking comes from old school drag kind of pageant system where like, you know, in Miss Gay America, you know, in Miss Gay USA, you weren't allowed to have, you know, silicone or breast implants or surgery. There was all these uh, regulations from in the, in the pageant system 
about what you couldn't couldn't have because they wanted it to be a quote fair competition. But as time has moved forward, we realized that it's not about what you're born with. It's about who you are with your gender identity. And I think that a lot of people, even in the gay community, don't get that. Again, I have been very open about my, I won't say struggle, but my journey insofar as understanding trans people because even though they put us under the same umbrella as i mentioned before like i don't know many trans people in my life and i don't understand the same struggles that they go through so although you stick us under the same umbrella lgbtqia i don't know much about my you know brother from another mother or whatever you want to say you know somebody who's in my community but not but not really in my community. And so I think that this was a great moment to have her on the show. How she acted, though, on the show, I really don't feel like... like To me, she did, as I said in the beginning, she just acted like Gia. I don't feel like there was anything necessarily trans about her. But on the other hand, I feel like that's great that there wasn't anything trans about her. It wasn't like we were calling her, oh, she's the trans contestant. We were just like, you know what? She's on the show doing her best drag. And that's what she does, because she does that in real life, too. The thing that I thought was disingenuous at the end, where she talked about how coming on RuPaul's Drag Race, you know, getting into drag and, you know, being uh, acting like a man who's doing drag uh, is something that she doesn't want to do. But she does that in her real life before and after transitioning. She does drag all the time. And I don't understand why she doesn't think more like the person she was in the beginning of episode one when she said, I am a woman doing drag. And I am living my best life. Like, where is that person? So I wish that that confidence that she had in episode one was there at the end of episode three. But I understand by this point she was probably beaten down a little bit. And I, to go back to your point about this, uh, how maybe the, these old school beliefs about what constitutes drag or not coming from this sort of, you know, pageant system. I'll read a quote here from uh, Susanna Denuda Walters from her book, All the Rage, the Story of Gay Visibility in America, which actually connects back to the host of the show. She says, uh, though the curious cultural fascination with drag performers burned hot, and they're talking about the uh, the fad in the 90s where between, you know, RuPaul's resurgence coupled with, like, Tu Wong Fu and the birdcage, drag, which had sort of functioned as, like, a, a you know, a pervasive nightclub type of thing, sort of got pushed to the forefront. Obviously not as much as it does nowadays, but it still experienced quite a boom. Uh, even though drag, with drag performers burned hot, it did not necessarily entail a challenge to traditional definitions of gender. In films and popular culture generally, drag becomes a safe and circuitous way of dealing with queerness rather than a radical cross-gender experience. A major part of this was clear was clearly the emphasis on cisgender drag queens. In the 1990s, no trans queen could hope for RuPaul's level of fame and acceptance. And I wonder if that question that you're asking from this listener, Brent, connects back to sort of the show at hand that, you know, RuPaul and a lot of the queens that compete in here, we do get a lot more gender fluid contestants and contestants that do transition after the fact, but it's a lot of, you know, males that turn into that, you know, change into females, but they present as males in their typical normal life. And I think that's sort of what we're used to as the norm to the point of where when a transgender person comes in, even though they have been there since the beginning, Suzanne Rivera, a transgender queen was one of the or a transgender woman was the one of the first people to throw this a stone at st- the Stonewall riots, which were huge in terms of uh, LGBTQ rights. The the people that we're used to seeing in the drag scene are men dressing up as women. So when a trans person comes in, even though it might be more typical in the drag scene outside of the show, we tilt our heads a bit because we're not used to seeing it on the show proper. 
Hmm. I think, you know, it has to do a lot with what are your expectations of a particular thing, right? You know, you go to a movie, you expect this, you go to a drag show, you expect this. And I think what we're getting to see with the representation of more people on the show from, you know, trans contestants, even to, you know, Brent, you talked about Aquaria in not having titties and like, oh my God, how can she not have titties? But it's so much fun to see sort of her style of drag. And I think it's just evolving and it's changing and there's so much cool stuff stuff that's going on. I think just, you know, being willing to be open about the changing definitions of drag and of art is just so cool. And it's so fun. And let's just take it all in and have a great time. Speaking of having a great time, I do want to segue from this extremely important conversation because we do have a lip sync to discuss. And I saw this on Twitter and I'm do we? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I personally think that I'm going to, you know, quote somebody on Twitter here and say that, uh, you know, Manila versus Trinity, how will I know by Whitney Houston, Monet is seething in the corner. Uh, but I personally th- I think that Manila won this in the first 10 seconds. Uh, there was just. Oh, yeah. 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 I think I just yeah, yeah, when yeah. she when she runs to the back, hits that <sighs> pose on the wall. There's just uh. something about. I speak a lot in these lip sync talks about like acting the song as weird as it is to say. And I think that Trinity stepped it out and did her thing. But Vanilla, I could actually feel like as weird as as it is to say, I could feel like she was almost singing the words to me, which shows that that she performed it well. Yes. So go ahead, Leona, because I can tell you feel the same way. Oh, my God. It was like she told a story. Her movements were so fluid. It just everything felt so purposeful when she was telling us the story of this song of like, you know, ugh, the leaning up against the like boy and just pining for him. And like everything about it was such a choice, a great choice. And it was just so fun to watch. And, you know, in contrast, having Trinity be a little bit more um I don't know, stochastic in her movements. I think it really just exemplified how great Manila did. Just exuding charisma. I I really loved this lip sync. Yeah, she she came off to me as the girl who's in love with a boy who's just so over the moon about him. And like, you know, like... Like it felt like she was like really singing the song to us. Of course, she's lip syncing, but it felt like she was singing. That's when you know drag is as that's drag at its finest. When you sort of forget that they're lip syncing and you feel like it's them performing the song to you. Uh, I I was smiling the whole way through this. I agree with Mike that in the first fifteen seconds. I knew who the winner was. I felt like I knew who the winner was. Trinity didn't do anything to change that. Uh, Trinity kind of mailed it in a little bit to me. I don't know if she knew how to act in this sort of a song. Uh, but Manila definitely didn't have any problems and she knew how to act. So easy win for her. I also question, uh, maybe Trinity was trying to, I don't know, make a reference to her competitor and wearing this like big, big bird esque bright yellow jacket. But like, are you really wearing that to a Whitney Houston lip sync? Really? That's what you're going to wear? Yeah, I didn't get that either. I didn't I didn't get the choices. I didn't get the she she basically acted the same way as she did during the so emotional number from mm-hmm. the first episode. So, yeah, I, I, again, it was like that's why I said, do we really have anything to talk about? I guess we do because we want to talk about Manila and how great she did, but there wasn't any contest to me. Manila won this hands down. Yeah, I mean, Trini was playful. She was doing some stuff like working around Manila that got that got some laughs. Too nice, but but Manila, but Manila, but I think Manila was more sincere with the performance, and that was the one who my eyes were glued to the most. Uh, so Manila wins here. The tension: Will she get rid of Valentina? No, Gia Gunn is our third queen eliminated from RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars 4. This is going to be a complicated question considering what we've discussed over the past two hours, but 
Let's talk about Gia's legacy here. Do we think it's gone up, gone down, or stayed the same from when she first appeared on Drag Race? Liana, what are you thinking? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I would probably say stayed the same. You know, I think you can say that there are maybe more positives, but maybe more negatives that also kind of come out of Gia being on the show. But I think she got more exposure. And I think her story really resonates with a lot of people. And I think, you know, even though we can kind of criticize the way that she exited the show, I think there were a lot of people, myself included, that were here for her messiness and really enjoyed seeing her on the season. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to say that she's uh, thumbs up here because, you know, people are talking about Gia Gunn. We're talking about Gia Gunn right now. I think that they're going to be talking about her uh, through the end of All-Stars, even though she's off the show now. Uh, you know, she's she's decided to use this opportunity to embrace her villainous a little bit more in her post-show interview saying, you know, I was the villain the entire time and I was playing it up. I was there to be a shit stir, that sort of thing. Um, I, again, I had my problems with how she exited the show. But beyond that, I think that she's probably done herself a good service in coming on the show and giving trans women a, a sense of visibility that they didn't have before. I think it was important for her to compete and to compete well. Again, she wasn't in the bottom the first two. I want to make sure I have that right. She wasn't in the bottom the first two mm-hmm. go-arounds. Uh, so, I mean, like, what can you say here other than she performed well, but Snatch Game just isn't her game. Yeah, I will. I'll give the thumbs up as well for a myriad of reasons. One, I think that we remember Gia Gunn from season six as more of like the uh, unintentional mean queen. The I'm feeling my oats, fresh tilapia. I'm the dark horse to the bl- the black horse to win it all type of thing. Uh, whereas she admitted in her, you know, I think her uh, introduction confessional during the the Trixie's Playhouse reveal of like I'm more than that. And I think that to her point, she proved that she was more than that in a myriad of ways i do think that you know maybe there were some things that might have left a bit of a bad taste in people's mouths specifically the stuff when she was going after farah which uh, is understandably a bit unfair uh especially when farah was sort of in that highly emotional state but we were sort of here from it from the good tv aspect of it all i was still i'm always going to remember her kabuki performance which i just think was so Beautiful. And again, if Gia wants to show another side of herself, a performative ability that she wasn't able to showcase in season six, she did it a bit here. And I agree with what you're saying, Brandon, what you said before, Liana, about how I think this is a good thumbs up for the show in terms of showcasing a part of drag culture that has been baked in there since the very beginning, but that some of your, you know, more average drag or less educated drag race fans might not necessarily know about. And that opens the door a bit into what you can imagine drag culture to be that at night, it's not just a male dressing up as a female. It's, it's an art form. It's a method of performing that it can encapsulate so many different, you know, genders on the spectrum. So I'm happy her presence there really brought that to mind. And I was happy to see her on screen with all the messiness that she brought. That being said in our preview, we sort of talked about how there are definitely three, some might argue maybe four Queens that, we knew probably didn't have a chance of winning. And I would argue they're all gone at this point, which makes things, yeah. at least in my opinion, yeah. extremely exciting for what's to come. It really is an open field, in my opinion, even though I do agree with you, Brent, that Trinity does seem like the front runner at this point. Oh, my yeah, uh, I mean, like I, uh, one of our uh, listeners, Matt Ligori, uh, who does things with uh, us on Big Brother for rap, um, he said, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that the first three that we thought were going to be eliminated are gone. But having said that, I'm not looking forward to the bloodbath that will be 
next week because I really don't have any idea who's going to go home. I, I think at this point, if I had to do my power rankings, I would probably have Trinity as number one. And um, who else would I have as number two? Who's like the second best yeah, person? I, I, w- I would say there's a, there's for me, there's a definitive top four right now of Trinity, uh, Trinity, Naomi, Manila, and Valentina. Yeah, Naomi's been high each time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that Na- yeah. Naomi has not had a breakout moment yet that's landed her in the top two. I think she's been the most consistent. And I think Valentina and Manila have both won. The, the other three have all won Lip Sync for Your Legacies. They've all had really good weeks. So I, I think that right now those are the top four that we're looking at. That being said, Monet can come from behind. Monique has recovered from her stint in the bottom, so maybe she can do well. Latrice is trending downward right now, but you never know in terms of drag race. We saw even this week with Manila picking herself up back off the ground. Hopefully Latrice will be able to do that next week. Oh my gosh, I'm so nervous, but also so excited. Like watching that preview for next week just gave me chills because, yeah, I mean, the three people that I think everyone thought was going to be the bottom three are gone. And so I, I just, I just want to hug everybody before we get into the bloodbath that will be next week. But I think it's going to be crazy to watch. By the way, not to pile on with Monet, but like, have you guys noticed that she's been a little more cunty this, this last season than she was the pre the season before, like just her even floating the idea that she should have won that lip sync over Valentina in the previous episode to me was like laugh out loud craziness. Like what, what you sound so bitter saying that. And some of the things she said about Trinity, like, do you think that she's trying to be more shady or do you just think that she's naturally kind of a bitch? Well, <laughs> didn't she do that for the um, sponge challenge or the, yeah. Yeah. She, she, remember she was the one who came back from the first challenge. Like <laughs> I'm surprised that wasn't I wasn't top win. and AJ O'Hara yeah. with the face crack of the century. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, God. Well, she's just so full of herself. That's that's the other thing that when we were watching with my friends, two things happened. Number one, they said, uh, "Is is Gia Gunn not wearing any makeup?" I can't remember if I told you guys that. But the other thing was Monet. When Monet was performing, my friends were like, "Oh my God, she's terrible!" Like, what is this Whitney? Like, this is terrible. Like, I, I and they couldn't. Like, when my friend said literally, when. Monet, when Monet was called safe and Valentina was left on the runway and they started critiquing Valentina, he's like, are they trying to tell us that Valentina is in the bottom two? That's cracked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and I, but I think to that point, like Monet has had a bit of an up and down week. She was in the bottom three in the first week, top two in the second week. We could argue bottom two in the third week, but all it takes is like her doing well next week and other people not doing well for her to skate by another week, which actually brings me to next week, which we're getting another improv challenge, it seems. Was it Jersey Justice, where they're sort of doing a Judge Judy-like courtroom show with the judge, Michelle Visage, presiding. And if we're talking about improv, Monet did well on the Bossy Rossi challenge from what I remember. Maybe I'm misremembering it. So... Maybe this could bode well for her and maybe not so well for other people who don't do so well in the moment off the cuff. Should be fun. I like performance challenges like this. I wish we would just have a good old fashioned, like, you know, two or three look runway, stomp the runway episode where you just come out and give us some really freaking awesome drag. Like, we're, like we haven't had a Project Runway-esque make your own outfit 
in a while, and I guess I would like that. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I I'll admit I'm I'm a bit. Su- I talked about this before in the podcast. I'm a bit surprised that we went back to back with like an improv style snatch game with an improv style Joe uh, Jersey Justice, considering that like again they're very similar. I'm surprised we haven't gotten a ball yet. My assumption is I haven't looked ahead. By my assumption will be the week after this next one. Is going to be all ball challenge because yeah, we haven't done a lot of uh, outside of the runways, not a lot of construction uh, type of challenges, which I feel like is key to being a good drag race contestant. Well, and and also with such a small cast, you know, it's not like oh, we're going to have a total of you know sixteen, fifteen challenges or whatever. Like we have a limited number of challenges, and so to have two back to back is kind of interesting. But hopefully they'll remedy that situation. And we're going to be halfway through the season next week, which what? is crazy. Yeah, twenty nineteen is going to start us off with the back half of. RuPaul's Drag Race. And speaking of that, I actually want to just take, I know we're going very long on this podcast, but I want to take a brief second to, since this is our last podcast with Drag Race of 2018, I just want to step down and talk for a second about how wackadoo of a year this was for RuPaul's Drag Race in 2018, considering that we had all of All-Stars 3, we had all of Season 10, we had the Holoslay Spectacular, and we had basically half of All-Stars 4 all in the course of one year. And this is when Drag Race won the Emmy, as well for Outstanding Reality Series for the first time. I mean, I'll throw the question out here. Do we think we're in peak Drag Race right now with the amount of content that's going on? It's a lot of Drag Race. I I do long for the days of it being on Logo and being a little less politically correct, but I'm probably in the minority on that decision. I mean, like, I'll say, I I can't remember if I said this last week, because sometimes I think of things I want to say and then, like, I forget to say them, but then other times I say them and I sound like I'm repeating myself because I'm, like, my dementia setting in. But I I kind of miss the days when Drag Drag Race was made for gay men and it was you straight people sort of just voyeuristically looking in. <laughs> Whereas now I feel like it's made for the mainstream audience and uh, it's not as fun to me. I'm really into voguing right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that whenever you have... Uh, okay, if you're going to increase the amount of something, the likelihood that the quality is going to decrease increases that makes sense so but i think that with the with so much drag race now i think that it's just i don't know it's given me more color in my life and i yeah that's probably true i'm here for it and i guess of course there's a little bit of me that is cautious about the future and you know oh my gosh is it gonna be oversaturated what if it's you know diluted so much that it's not gonna be good but you know what? In the meantime, I'm having a lot of fun and I'm enjoying myself, so I can't complain. I have to say, Mike, I really hope they don't do something crazy like where they have all of the eliminated queens like just stay on the show and like hang out like until the end, and maybe they can like Gia could be the winner or something. Like I, 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 I hope they don't go that. That would be that's crazy talk, Mike. What, what, don't, yeah, don't, don't put that out in the universe, please, know, Brent. Right? It's, it's terrible. Uh, we get it enough on other shows. Uh, but yeah, this continues to be one of my favorite shows on television. All-Stars 3, I liked a few episodes on. Admittedly, it had a very controversial ending. I have, I'm, have been really high on season 10 on the whole. The Holosley Spectacular was nonsensical, chintzy fun. And I've been really enjoying this these first few episodes as well. Granted, again, the boots have been a bit predictable, but I am just loving this cast and what they are bringing to the table so far, which makes me even more excited and nervous for what's to come with this top seven. So 
Here's to a great 2018 and hopefully an even greater 2019 when it comes to RuPaul's Drag Race. And I hope you can all join us as well. You can follow all of us on social media. Liana is at Liana Boris, L-I-A-N-A-B-O-R-A-A-S. Brent is at One Lucky Gay, spelled O-N-E. I am at a Mike Bloom type. Let us know your thoughts about this week, what your power ranking is for these top seven queens. Additionally, if you know or if you are someone from either the trans community or the drag community, uh, we would love to hear from you about this subject in terms of trans people in the drag community. If you have something you want me to read or play on the podcast, I would absolutely be more than happy to do so. Just let me know. Uh, And thank you, you know, uh, for listening to us all year long. I know that we were talking about some very complicated subjects this episode, especially as three cisgender individuals. But, uh, you know, this, this stuff really opened some eyes to some really important topics that need to be discussed and that's another reason why i love this show as well wait wait mike speaking of important topics can we talk about alien drag queens oh yes of course monet's belief in aliens that just comes out Uh, of nowhere i know i love that it was about marriage equality and then what like 10 seconds later okay but what about alien drag queens though Monet's just weird. And also a very belated congratulations to Latrice. I believe that, you know, at the time it was filming, she was engaged. I believe she got married to her husband, I think, of three months ago or so. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm happy for Latrice as well. Uh, hopefully she'll get a wedding gift and a win next week. That's going to do it for this extra long edition of the Cap. Brent, Liana, thank you for your fantastic work all year long. Can't wait to continue the fun. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next week with some Jersey justice as seven becomes six. For now, you may sashay away. Bye! The Jeep Celebration event is here, which means great deals on the SUVs built to stand the test of time are waiting. Hurry in before time runs out. FCA vehicle owners financing at 4750 total cash allowance on select 2020 Grand Cherokee Laredo 4x4 models and dealer stock the longest. On oldest 20% inventory of 2020 Grand Cherokee Laredo models as of 3-3-2020 in dealer stock. Current vehicle must be registered for 30 days. Financing for well-qualified buyers through Chrysler Capital. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery by 3-31-2020. Jeep is a registered trademark. The internet has changed, so should the way you bank. PNC Virtual Wallet for Digital Banking. It's time for a change. Now through March 31st, earn up to $300 when you open and use a select new virtual wallet product. Simply establish a qualifying direct deposit. To learn more, visit a branch or pnc.com slash checking offer. PNC Bank. Make today the day. Virtual Wallet is a registered trademark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association member FDIC.